Welcome to the Screamcast episode 132. I am Sean DeRager and with me is Brad Henderson. Hey everybody. Damn. Sultry sounds of Brad Henderson. Hey Sean. <laughs> What's up? Uh, BJ will be joining us via a little audio clip. She was about to join us and... Um, she had a, a meeting for her new uh, production power bomb that uh, they are right in the middle of an Indiegogo campaign for. Hold on, let me open my beer. Mm, go BJ, go. And uh, there will be links in the show notes to the Indiegogo campaign. At this moment, they are fifty percent funded, which is fucking awesome. Fifty. So, she had an emergency meeting uh, for with for that production, so she could not join us uh, this evening. But uh, she is going to be giving her "What's on Your Doorstep" um, segment, and I will be splicing that in. Sound good? Sounds sexy. <laughs> I don't know if I could do this whole podcast with you talking uh, like you've swallowed the mic. Got those panties wet, Sean. <laughs> Yeah, well, I need a drink. I need to drink a nice cold beer to cool my cool myself down. Yeah, uh, sounds about right. Thank you all for for listening. Uh, so we'll be doing what's on your doorstep. Of course, we will be talking about the movie Demon Seed, and mm. we'll also be bringing you our stream screams with Lawnmower Man Two and our video. Oh my God, with Homewrecker. So all that coming up. Damn. And, uh, yeah, so sorry, my, my phone, the text messages are going crazy. Caught in a family group text message. You need to turn Always that fun. shit off for the screen cash, Sean. <laughs> uh, if you're listening and want to tweet along, follow us at scream underscore cast. All of our other social media links are over at thescreamcast.com as well as other articles and uh awesome stuff. Uh most recently, Bad, you had your VHS cover series. You posted that. Um Part six. Yep. And then Bead Germain. Or down under. Wait, that was I was trying to do my sexy Australian voice. I don't know if I did it correctly. Oh my uh, god. Uh anyway, he has an article about 1993's Body Melt, so check that out as well. We also do have a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash scream underscore cast. Keeping it all the same. And then we need to thank a brand new patron, everybody. Oh, yeah. Jacob Peterson. Uh, new $5 patron. Thank you so much for joining the insanity. Speaking of that, we... You and I, Brad, need to do more of our late night series for the patrons. Scheduling has been a bitch, and you're getting ready to do a film festival, so that means after the after tonight, you're out about a week and a half. So, but when you get back, we promise all of you, Brad and I, I can make thirty minutes time for you, Brad. Well, I'm just gonna say we will have a drunken orgy of uh, late night podcasts, like all at once, dude. We'll record like four of them, and that way, the next four come weeks, everywhere. Uh, so we will be doing that i know i mean you know thank you for for giving us uh, you know for for subscribing and giving us your hard-earned cash we do appreciate it and we are 
we have some shit planned, everybody. We will we will be, be making all of you proud. Thank all of you for the screencast. Um. Anyway, all right. Uh, let's jump right into this episode with our what's under doorstep. Holy cow! I almost forgot. We'll get the door. seven of us in one podcast and they're doing because theirs is a very produced podcast the splat house podcast is so it's like a splat house episode on steroids with seven people all talking over each other all at at the whole time (laughs) so i do not envy jim and all the work that he's doing and uh so we will let all of you know when that comes out follow was it is it splatcast on twitter Splatcast. And it's not the so, one that was created after ours. Oh! Either. There was what? another Splatcast created after ours based on Nickelodeon shows. <laughs> oh, that's so, amazing. Um, all you have to do wow. is look for the seven beautiful faces yeah. of our show. I mean, we, we have a hell of a good looking team. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. To record that episode, um, it, it was a, a blast. Lot of fun. But man, that sounds like yeah. I, I, I honestly, from thinking back, I can only think that it sounds like a fucking shit storm. <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, uh, Mike D did a hell of a job moderating and keeping. He he really he, did a, a, a bang up fantastic. job. And uh, I, I, it's gonna be a lot of fun. So. Stick around, you know, keep your eye on our Twitter feeds for that. It will be showing up both in our feed and the Splat House feed for you all to listen. So we're not doing a separate goddamn, you know, podcast feed. So it's all, we'll keep it simple. Keep it simple here at the, at the Screamcast. Mm. All right. Let's jump right into our what's on your doorstep. Uh, like I already, like I already did. Like I, I said, I said we're doing that. Yeah. Um, I only got a fuse. Do you want me to go first or you want to go first, Brad? What's up? You can, you can go first, Sean. I'll let, I'll let you have the floor. Okay. Uh, first flick I watched and this just came out this week is M. Night Shyamalan's, uh, newest film called Split. Now, I know a lot of people like to drag him through the mud. Uh, you and I, Brad, have talked about him and we actually appreciate most of his filmography. Um, there's a few of his, you know, that I don't that I don't like, but um, I think as a whole, like he's been trying to kind of, uh, you know, get his uh, get his juju back, and uh, he had a film called The Visit, which I did not care for, and then uh, I loved, and you loved, and then most recently he had the film Split, and I starring James McAvoy. And you did not like it. Um, I actually had a lot of fun with it. With it, I really uh, dug Jay McAvoy's performance. Um, there were a few segments that I thought were, you know, uh, pretty thrilling and intense. 
and you know it's a modest budget and i think most of his films are films are modest budget anyway but um you know after earth and last airbender not, not no not those ones I, he's back he's getting back to more of of a lower budget right so i think it's a good return to form is it a you know no film's perfect but is it is it a step in the right direction did you say no film is perfect no film is perfect have you never seen Harold and Maude? <laughs> Why do you got to be bringing up my list of shame, Brad? Why got to be bringing that up? I'm just saying, like, there are such things as perfect movies. Right. Well, yeah. Well, this, I think, is a fun genre exercise. I think he's finally getting his legs back. I did like it. I saw, you know, I can see where there were some things, you know, that people would criticize it for. But um, I think it's a good return to form for him, especially considering his recent track record so if he keeps moving in this trajectory of you know getting better of better and better like I, I think that'd be great uh there is you know there's no really no gigantic twist in in this one um everyone says stick around for the end i think that would have been better as like a post-credit sequence myself for those of you who've seen it know what i'm talking about but uh, if you're curious, I think it's worth checking out. At least I would recommend it as a, as an enthusiastic rental. What do you think, Brad? Okay, enthusiastic rental. Um, I think most people will like Split. I did not. Um, I do like that M Night is getting back into kind of his roots, um, in his origins when he first came on the scene. Because, I mean, I really do love Sixth Sense. I love Unbreakable. I came around on Signs eventually. I still think The Village is bullshit. Um, <laughs> I like uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lady in the Water, and I know I stand kind of alone on that one. Um, I've never seen After Earth. I've never seen uh, Last Airbender. Um, I love The Visit, and um, I did not like Split. Did you Did you mention The Happening? Oh, I fucking hate the happening. So he ha- like he's up and down for me too, but yeah, he's a hit or miss. But I tell you what, I will never turn away an M Night movie. Yeah, I do still get genuinely excited for his films, even if the films I haven't seen. Like I know, like I I know this sounds really shitty as a critic, and you know, for viewers that listen to us and trust trust me. But I could seriously say I'll probably never really get around to watching The Last Airbender after Earth. No, no, no. I, like, I, I, don't, go, I, don't, do. I don't feel that serves any purpose in my life whatsoever. Because those are big studio films that he got wrapped into. Like, Right, right. And I, and I think, right. He works best on a budget, yeah. like a small yeah. budget and um, letting him do his own thing. Like cutting like, – because obviously I think – uh, Blumhouse is a very, very good outlet for him because they're definitely just going to let, hey, you want to make a movie? Here's f- some fucking money. Go make your movie. Yeah. You know, he's not tied down. Like, I-, I think even with the signs in the village, he was getting too big at that point. And, um, even though I, 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 I like signs, it took me a while. They're very Hollywood, uh, compared to, you know, Sixth Sense and, um, unbreakable. Yeah, I know Bruce Willis is in those movies, but Bruce Willis is also in Stephen C. Miller movies. Like <laughs> he, he he jumps back and forth to you know direct the video to theater. So uh, a lot of actors. Whoever's paying. <laughs> well, here's the thing: is I trust M. Night um, to at least 
give it a shot. I know, I know that he's not, well, I shouldn't say that because I have, I mean, there's After Earth and Last Airbender, but he's, he doesn't seem like a cash grab guy. Like, I'm going to make a movie just to, you know, some money. Like, he really seems like these past two movies, he's kind of put his whole effort into them. Yeah. Well, even, even Last Airbender and, uh, After Earth, like, I felt he was passionate about them and wanted to do them. I think his problem, though, is he doesn't know how to rein himself in, or I, I, I don't know. He, maybe he's, he just feels like he's out of his element, um, dealing with a bigger studio system. Like, he was still, like, sounded passionate about them. He just made some awful choices with those. So, anyway, uh, moving right along, Brian O'Malley's film, Let Us Pray, from 2014, is another film that I watched. Um, watch this for Liam Cunningham. He's fantastic in it. He basically plays maybe Satan or a demon or something evil. But, um, uh, you know, people are stuck in a, in a police station and he basically gets caught up in it and, and shit goes down inside and, and, you know, things get weird. I don't know. Um, I liked most of it. I liked him the most. I felt like, uh, unfortunately, I didn't feel like half the film was kind of forgettable. But, um, but like I said, he, you know, Liam Cunningham playing this character, character six <laughs> in Let Us Pray, like he has some great lines in it that I just loved. I wish the rest of the film was like on the level that Liam Cunningham was on. And you guys know him from, uh, Game of Thrones and, uh, I don't even know what else he's been on. He's one of those actors, whenever I see him in a film, I'll at least watch it for him. He's, he's memorable, but that movie's kind of not very good at all. <laughs> Which we talked about before. I talked about it on a Fantastic Fest episode. It's yeah. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It's but, not good. You know, if uh, if it's if it's on Netflix and you're you have it's got a good soundtrack, watch, uh, pretty good soundtrack, and you know, like I don't know, there's potential. It just doesn't really well made. Doesn't live up to its full potential. Right. Yeah. Looks good. Yeah. All right. Moving along. Uh, I watched uh martin scorsese's latest film called silence and those of you know you know who, who know me and hear me talk i do you know i love things uh like a serious take on faith and christianity and uh, things like that i think that scorsese when he is playing in the realm of like catholicism I think he's always brings an, an interesting perspective to it. He did so with The Last Temptation of Christ. And, um, he always has mentions, you know, you know, Catholicism and things in his films is very personal to him. But this film about these two Jesuit priests that go over to Japan to basically be missionaries. And at that time in feudal Japan, basically Christianity, uh, and being and spreading its message was against the law and you could be put to death if you didn't renounce your faith. So there's a lot of things going on this uh, in this film. Um it's very well made. It's a it's a slow burn, but it's brutal as hell when it comes to uh the violence that happens to these missionaries. Uh played by Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. Um, Liam Neeson is in it as well, but, um, and, and just a fantastic Japanese cast, um, people that you've recognized from other films. I, I, God, I wrote this down 
and I can't find it, but, um, oh gosh, a Japanese director is in this. God damn it. Ah, I can't, I can't think. It's one of those, one of those guys you, we've seen his films. We've talked about his, his films a lot. I haven't seen Silence, so I don't know. But I can't remember. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I wish, I wish I can, it would come to my brain right now, but it's not. And, but it's a very well-made film if you're interested in the subject matter at all. If you're not, like if you don't, really care about the struggles and of you know two white guys getting persecuted in feudal japan uh it may not be your thing but i think there's enough to this film i think both sides are represented well like the japanese aren't just a bunch of evil you know um evil warlords in this like there is the reason there is a reason you know why this is going on It's, it's based on a historical fact so, uh, very well made film. And I would love to see Scorsese do like a samurai flick after this. Cause it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Pretty damn good. And a lot of people, depending on your background, I think would have, would take away a lot. Uh, it'd be interesting to talk to different people who've seen this with different backgrounds. And, uh, and, uh, cause I think everyone have what will take something away from it. So that's silence. Next up is a film, sci-fi film that got a lot of shit when it came out. It stars, uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. It's called Passengers. Oh, Michael Sheen's in it, I guess, too. I don't know. Oh yeah, he plays the, uh, the bartender robot. Lawrence Fishburne makes an appearance. It's about a guy who wakes up on a uh, a vessel that's transporting transporting thousands of people to a new colony in a different planet. They're all in hypersleep, and what they do is they basically sleep for like ninety to hundred years to make it to their the new colony. And it, when they wake up and they start their new lives in this new colony, well, one guy, Chris Pratt's character, uh, wakes up early because there's a collision with uh, an asteroid field or something like that. Uh, during the film. Jennifer Lawrence's character is awakened as well, and uh, that's where a lot of critics like started complaining about how she wakes up. And uh, and I think like if you actually watch the entire film and pay attention, I think that's dealt with. I think people kind of got on their soapboxes a little bit uh, and complained about that plot point, but. To me, it was dealt with. Uh, you know, did Chris Pratt do a very good job of kind of portraying that he could maybe be a creep? You know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe a better actor would have had more weight to it. Um, same thing with Jennifer Lawrence. Like, she, she brings like a certain level to the character, but I think a better actress would have had more nuance, I think. So I think with better, like Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, like they're not horrible actors, but they're not, you know, they're Hollywood actors, right? They're, they're, they're pretty, they're put into roles and they do a decent job. I think a couple of more intense actors are better, maybe character, uh, driven actors, I think would have been a, done a better job and people wouldn't have, uh, trashed it. But if you like a sci-fi, like sci-fi films, people were saying this is tight, like space Titanic. It's, it's not, um, 
uh, I really, I, I really dug it. I'm a sci-fi nut. Anyway, uh, I thought the effects were fantastic. The, the, the spaceship and space and certain, uh, certain things to do with, uh, anti-gravity and things like that. There's anti-gravity, like, pool scene that, uh, is, is pr- very well done. So if you like sci-fi, I would definitely say give this a shot. Um, it's in the vein of like, I don't know. Like, like, say, like the movie Sunshine and Wally got smashed together into a PG thirteen film. Like, that's kind of the aesthetic I think you'll you'll find in it. But I liked it. I don't know. Apparently, according to Twitter, I'm not supposed to like it because I'm supposed to be mad at Chris Pratt's character. But I don't know. Like I said, that. That is dealt with in the film, and it wouldn't. Uh, there would be like no tension if that was if she just woke up by herself. That's all I'm gonna say. All right, passengers, check it out. I would recommend it as a rental if you like sci-fi. Next is a film called "Don't Kill It," starring Dolph Lundgren. It is okay. <laughs> I don't know. He pl- okay. Dolph Lundgren plays a vaping demon netter, demon catcher. Because the whole premise is, you talked about this, Brad, you, uh, on the, the Fantastic Fest episode. Yeah. If he kills the, if you kill the demon, the demon possesses you, you become the demon, basically. So he can't kill it, hence the title, Don't Kill It. And so he has this big net gun, and he is basically this guy from like Louisiana by you, by way of Sweden, who incessantly vapes on this, uh, contraption. And, uh, tries to catch the demon like it's fun seeing Dolph Lundgren in in a genre film and he's obviously having a blast doing it it's a fun kind of midnight film with some really great gore in it like um oh gosh who's the director come on Mike Mendez yes Mike Mendez who did uh Big Ass Spider and he's done a couple of other films as well so like he's obviously having fun here operating within you know a, a budget you know, and the only things that graded me were like the rock soundtrack, like the generic, like metal rock soundtrack. And just like the sound design of the demon scream just annoyed the hell out of me. And, uh, I don't know. It was a, it was a, it's a fun little time waster. I'll probably never watch it again, but, uh, you know, if, if you're bored one night, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, you know, you, you'd probably get a lot out of it. I've seen it three times. I love it. <laughs> I know. I can't believe that. Uh, it's fun. Everybody's having a blast. But that's it's the thing. Goofy. Like, I feel like that's part of my problem sometimes is you see these movies in kind of more amped up settings with, you know, people you're, you've all, you're all in this together. You're at a, you're at a you know, fantastic fest. Everyone's having a blast. Everyone sits down and everyone, you know, has fun with a film. So do you think there's a little bit of that going in there or or no? And I think the next movie I talk about may may prove this wrong. I saw Split at uh, Fantastic Fest. It was the secret screening. Uh, people went ape shit. I fucking hated sitting there. I wanted to get up. Uh, Let Us Pray. Everybody was fucking cheering in the audience. I fucking hated it. I wanted to get up. Wow. Um, I saw Don't Kill It in the theater. Everybody was fucking going ape shit. 
and I was going apeshit as well. All right. I uh, I screened it at a little marathon that I did because uh, I do these marathons every like four months with some friends and stuff. We have you know anywhere between like you know six to ten people come, uh, depending on you know because you can't really get the same people in a room every four months to watch you know sixteen hours of movies. Um, but I, I screened it like at eight o'clock a like eight a.m. Um, I took a chance on it because I always try to open with something that's goofy and kind of like, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say throwaway, but sometimes a throwaway film where it's like, okay, this could be fun. I don't have to really pay attention, you know, that hard. I can just sit and enjoy myself and past marathons I've opened with like goofy stuff from the eighties, like the stabilizer, uh, opened with Raiders of Atlantis one time, um, you know, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, uh, you know, uh, the the Purge 2, stuff like that. Um, and everybody really enjoyed Don't Kill It. I, you know, we laughed and made fun of it, but I think that's the whole charm of it. It is, yeah. it is a campy, campy movie. Yeah. And no, it, no, is it is a friend, like it, it's a friends movie. Like it's, it's fun to watch with a group of people. Um, but I agree to you. I agree with you to an extent, but for maybe some people half maybe more than half but to me i can watch a movie by myself and kind of ha- still have the same reaction i don't let the cuz in a way deep down what i what i hear when you say that and this is i'm not accusing you of this i'm not accusing anybody of this but this is how i translate that is that the audience made me like this movie. Yeah, and that's that's not my and that's, and that, that, intention. I understand, but that's what I right. hear. So I don't I don't think that's true. I do think people can be swayed because they don't want to be against the grain. But honestly, I don't give a fuck. So I just like I'm like, all right, I didn't yeah. like it. I'm you know I'm not gonna just because I know the director or associate myself with him on Twitter. I'm not gonna. Now I will say a lot of people yeah. do that. I've seen it happen. I've seen that shit happen. I've seen people not like a movie in the theater, but then like for some reason when it comes out, they like are all over it trying to suck the director's dick. Um, you know, so that was that was sexist of me because I just <laughs> said that all directors are men. Um, Son of a bitch. Or or pinch the titties. <laughs> I'll say that too. <laughs> Suck the dick or pinch wow, the titties. Okay, because women are directors too, people. Right, but that would if he's if, if a man director, you'd probably welcome it. And woman director, uh, sexual harassment. You're done. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I don't want an audience. I, I don't. I don't feel feel that way. Yes, it can amplify the experience. Right, but I feel that like you should already be liking the movie at that right. point. Right. Well, and that's my and that's what I'm saying. Like, like because most of the time I'm in my my room watching a film. I don't. I can't get out to the theater as much. I don't have that communal spirit experience. So I don't know. Like, I genuinely don't know. Like, I'm like, well, if if like, not that it would be swayed by the crowd, but it would it just be a different experience with a room full of people. You know, wanting to just have a blast with the film. You know what I mean? And so when I'm by myself, like I kind of would check out, I think easier, uh, than I would, I think if I was with a bunch of friends. You know what I mean? Like that's what I mean. Like, no, no, I understand because programming the Florida Film Festival and 
which is this weekend, by the way, uh, plug. Um, but helping out with other fests, watching movies, I watch a lot of movies by myself. Right. You know, and, and I have to say, I, I do agree with you. This is where I, cause I do agree with you, but it's like, will this be fun for an audience? Like if, if I had to choose, I think there's like a frog outside my window <laughs> and I can hear it do its like mating. It's all good. I got a, I got um, a house full of women playing Bunko in the other room. <laughs> but like, all right. So example, like, if Don't Kill It was passed across my desk, would I play that? Or would I play, you know, uh, just kind of a, a normal run-of-the-mill slasher film? No. Yeah, let's just say – no, let's actually say a, a, a decent a decent slasher film. I would probably pick Don't Kill It because that would, I know, be better for an audience – um, even though like sometimes like films you may not want to play because they might put people to sleep, you know, um, like for example, a very good example, a film that I'm a huge fan of, I adore it is Barbarian Sound Studio. Right. Um, people find that movie good, but it's also very, very slow. It's really good. But I would play something like Don't Kill It that's not even close to being on the same par level as Barbarian Sound Studio. But I would play Don't Kill It over Barbarian Sound Studio because I know that, number one, it's 80 minutes long. Uh, Number two, uh, people aren't going to get up. They're going to laugh. They're going to clap. Um, They're going to think it's really silly. They're going to think it's really fun. Barbarian Sound Studio, no one's going to fucking say a word, and they're going to fall asleep. (laughs) So, that said, yes, you sometimes think about what can get your audience going. And I think Don't Kill It, and this is where I agree with you, Don't Kill It is an audience pleaser. But I don't think the audience chooses whether people should like the movie or not. And that's where things happen sometimes, because I think people think that they need to like it in order to fit in and that's not true gotcha. people stop doing that and it happens and people are like oh no I, I i make up my own mind you'd be fucking surprised man i see it happen all the time oh and it, and it really shit. upset it really upsets me because i'm like you i sat next to you in the fucking theater and you didn't like the movie <laughs> But like six months later, for some reason you're like all about don't kill it now you gotta keep them screening Give me bro a break. Gotta keep them screeners coming. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, moving on. This in this next movie, I'll go over this again. <laughs> All right, and finally, I uh, this just came out on uh, uh, streaming, and it's going to be coming out on Blu-ray via Diabolic, and it's going to be in, on DVD probably at Walmart. But um, I watched The Void. This is directed by Jeremy Gillespie and Stephen Kostansky. Half, is it half part of Astron 6? And this is about... Well, there's uh, five, five people in Astron 6. Okay, so, you know, my math's bad. So two out of... Two out do of do five. your fractions. Fractions are hard. <laughs> two out of five. Two, out of five. two, out of two five. fifths. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I do math all day oh, at my job. Let you bury yourself. Um, 
<laughs> my brain is not thinking. You do math. You do math good, Sean. I do math so good. I'm the best math. I'm the best math doer. Okay. Only the best math. Uh, anyway, so this is about people basically trapped in a hospital, similar to Let Us Pray, where people are trapped in a police station. But we have a police officer, a couple police officers, and some hospital people, nurses, I guess, and a doctor trapped in a hospital uh, with a group of mysterious hooded people outside and strange shit starts going down. So I had heard a lot about this film. I'd heard a lot of mixed, uh, mixed reactions to the film. Some people were praising it. Some people didn't like it. Some people were kind of meh regarding it. I, um, I'm like in between, like, I really love a lot of aspects of the film, but the things that I love about the film don't have anything to do necessarily, I guess, with plot or character. <laughs> so that's the uh, that's the wrestling match that this film has had with me. I think there are some really great practical effects. I think that there are some scenes from, I guess, would be inside the void that are done practically. And they uh, they look really really good. The ending of the film is fucking epic. Uh, it reminds me of you know say like movies like The Beyond or or whatever things like that. Um, it ends like The Beyond. Yeah, I, I was, <laughs> yeah. It, it's a safe. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry, that's not necessarily a spoiler. Um, yeah, totally same aesthetic as the Beyond of that ending, but uh, but there's a lot of good in it, and I can tell like they were they're talented in, in what they do. I just feel like the plot of the film is a little bit of a mess. I don't know if I can really tell you exactly you know why things are going on. I don't know if yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't really latch on to any of the characters like. I think all of them were assholes, pretty much, except for one, and uh, she doesn't really hang around very, very much. So, I don't know. I have very mixed feelings on the film. Like, it's super ambitious, so I, like, Jeremy and Steven, like, I really can, I really have to give them props for at least attempting something this ambitious. I almost wonder if it's, if it was more ambitious if, if they just bit off more than they can chew or if they're, you know, I don't know, like would things have been different with, you know, a little bit of a bigger budget, you know? Um, I don't know. So there's a lot that I really love about the film design wise and effects wise. I think the plot and the character are a little bit of a mess, but, um, it's enough for me to, to go on like more of the positive scale than the negative as far as overall judgment of the film. So I, I say if you're curious, definitely rent it. Don't spend $22 to buy it from Diabolic. If, if you're unsure, if it's a blind buy, don't spend that much money on it. I would say rent it first. If you rented it and you really dug it and you want to hear the commentary and see a documentary about it, spend the money, get the, get the Blu-ray and, or, you know, or get, I think the special features are only on the Blu-ray. But, um, you know, get it and, and own it and, and love it. Like, it's, you know, it's not my place to tell you what to think. But, like, for me, it was like, it was hit or miss. Like, I'm unsure if I would spend $22 on the Blu-ray. I probably wouldn't, you know. I think, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people 
that aren't going in expecting much from a horror film will enjoy it. I think for, because here's, here's my thing is that I absolutely adore everything that Astron 6 has ever done. I was fully supportive of Steve and Jeremy's separation kind of from Astron 6. You know, Matt Matthew is in the film and stuff like that, but, um, it is kind of their own venture taking a note on a serious horror film. Um, I helped with, uh, Kickstarter for Fireman. I helped, uh, with the editor. I helped with The Void. My name is in the fucking credits of this movie, and I still do not like The Void. (laughs) Um, I I don't know. I I think with me, I may be a little unfair with it, especially after talking with Sean today (laughs) uh, or yesterday about it. Because I think what my my thing is, is this, this was my most anticipated movie of last year. Yeah. Like, ever since I remember seeing their, uh, hearing about it, first of all, and then them going live with the Kickstarter and promoting the Kickstarter and seeing their co- proof of concept trailer that is way better than the movie. Um, and just going from there, I, and then it, I, I remember like hearing in the background, this is a guaranteed program, for Fantastic Fest, and I didn't see it. Um, and I was just so fucking amped and then they announced it and I knew it was going to happen, but I was just, I was fucking ecstatic. I was like shaking in the theater <laughs> when this thing started and then I'm just sitting there like it starts off all right. But then I was like, wait a second, what the fuck is happening in this fucking hospital? Are we going to talk the entire fucking time about people's issues and problems? Right. Yeah. They spend way too much time with the characters in the hospital. Like, it serves, but it serves yeah. no purpose. Like I don't mind talking movies, of course. Right. It didn't do anything. Like what the fuck are you talking about? Are you talking about your fucking problems? Like there's fucking people hunting you down outside. There's fucking creatures on the loose, and you got to talk about fucking who's trusting who. Give me a fucking break. I don't know. It's just like I think. I think they really need. I, I think this is something that. Focus more on structure of your movie because I think honestly what it feels like, and I obviously don't know this is true, but I feel that so much got wrapped up in the presentation um, and trying to do special effects. And they they thought maybe that would pace the movie a little bit better. I think the movie is just badly paced. I, I don't think any of it's really bad. I just think that it's just very poorly paced and uninteresting with um, the characters and choices of who's who and what says what. So I think it's definitely some script issues in there. I will say, as far as a Kickstarter film goes and a practical effects film, it's head and shoulders above Harbinger Down, which for me, that was like a, a fucking letdown. Like, I spent 40 bucks on it. And when I finally got the Blu-ray, I sold it. Ugh. That was a, that was a disappointment. But yeah, I mean, I understand. I, I feel like if somebody, if your, 
possibly a little newish to horror and all you've seen is like maybe the thing or hellraiser i think i think the general horror fan will like the voice yeah no i know I, that's what I'm, I'm saying like me discovering horror like i don't know 10 not i didn't discover it 10 years ago but me kind of diving doing more deep dives into horror i started about maybe eight to ten years ago finally starting to see like more fulci and stuff like that before i hadn't seen much of the of those films if if you're like I was then and you saw this, you'd, you'd probably love it. And then you would want to discover all these other films that in, that inspired it. Like that's what's – the one good thing about The Void is I think if you're wanting to dive, dive in more films like this, this is a fun movie to watch and then try to discover and well, then discover for yourself its uh, influences. If you're already aware of all the influences of the void, you're 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 gonna have a hard time, like I think, really getting into it. So it's kind of I don't know, like I it, it's it's hit or miss for me. I think, like I said, for me, there's a lot more to love than not to love about it because I'm but I look at things more from a create like uh, a design and sound design and and you know visual effects. I, I look through to, at movies through that lens more than necessarily the writing. So that's always going to give me a little more, I'll give a movie a little more bonus points as far as that goes. But, um, but that's just me, but I, I think it's worth checking out at least worth renting and, and then make your decision. Yeah. I mean, any, everything, everything we're talking about is worth renting. Yeah. I, th- I feel like it's a strong stepping stone for them as filmmakers. And I feel like if they joined forces back, like I think Harbinger Down was a film that was done directed by a special effects artist, you know, I'm, um, and that he had never directed, really directed a film before. I feel like if Astron six re teams and decides to do like tries to do like an, an, an evolution from the void, like a next, like another kind of serious minded horror movie, I think they would have a home run. Cause I think them as a team, like you and I talked about this off, off the show, like you mentioned this, like them as a team work very well together. And I think if you look at like the editor and that was done for more comedic effect, but there's a lot in the editor that would be incredible as a straight horror film. Like they have the chops. I feel like they just, you know, all the ingredients possibly weren't right for the void. So anyway, we've, we've talked a lot about the void, but, um, it's out. It's able to, you're able to go see it. So a lot of people have been asking about it. Um, if you're curious, rent it. That's, that's going to be my, would be my advice. And let us know what you think. Let us know, you know, I have a friend who absolutely adored it. And he sent me like this long Facebook message like, dude, you got to see the void. <laughs> have you heard of the void? So I, and he loved it. So that's great. You know, I'm glad people are finding stuff to love. Like, like, as a whole with that film. Oh, so. hey, I want people to like Great. it because they can make more movies. Yeah. That movie's not for me. Nice. All right. I, um, dude, I, here I am talking about us shortening up this segment and I've blabbed for a long time. Yeah, you did it a really long time. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm just, just giving the people what they want. Yay. I told you. All right. <laughs> so. First up, in not the order that I'm looking at right here, um, I got a round to watching Slasher.com. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Don't call your movie.com anything. Um, so <laughs> Slasher.com is 
a film about a guy and a girl that are online dating. They decide to meet up and do a getaway. They go to a getaway. The family is really weird at the bed and breakfast. Uh, they turn out to be killers and they have to survive and it gets a little weird and weirder. And then it just turns out to be kind of like witty at the end where it was like, Oh, that's a good job. But man, it took about 90 minutes to get here. Um, <laughs> it's not bad. It is entertaining. Um, the gore gags are pretty good. Um, it's just the acting is just fucking horrendous. Like nobody in this movie can act at all. Um, it just, it just takes a while to, to get there. And it, it just kind of calling it slasher.com was just a really dumb idea because that serves no purpose. There's a, was this held over from like 1994? I, no, I, you know, it'd be like one of those things like, oh, fear.com, slasher.com. <laughs> But no, no, no. It's 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 just not. It's just not very good. Um, it, it just it does have moments. It has potential. Um, they had. I. It would work probably better as a short film. You know. Um. So next up was an Australian film. Film. This is one of the Wild Eye movies. Uh, I always talk about Wild Eye. You guys need to. Uh, let me hold on. Let me put. I need to put a timestamp on here so I can let people know to skip through this part if they want. You know, it's funny that people say that because I I, I want to ask how many people have watched Wild Eye movies because I'm always highly entertained and the ones I'm going to talk about are really good. Um, so this one that I uh, actually talked to Beat about, he hasn't seen this. Is chocolate? It's called Chocolate Strawberry Vanilla. It is about an ice cream man. It sounds delicious. Uh, is kind of just. Has a really kind of mundane life. He's an ice cream man, of course. And he is obsessed with this TV show that's been on like 23 seasons. And he, um, loves basically the lead actress in, in, uh, in this TV show. Um, well, she comes to, uh, his ice cream stand. And then he has this chance to actually talk to her and, uh, get to know her a little better. And in the meantime, he's kind of having like the psychological breakdown because he is getting kind of ridiculed and beat up at the same time. Like people just being an asshole to him because he's, you know, he's not all there. He, you know, has kind of a lisp. He's, you know, when he speaks and he's a little goofy and he obviously has some issues. Um, he is obsessed with Clint Eastwood and all Clint Eastwood movies. Um, it's very like his footage that he because re he records himself um, talking a lot in the film, and it's very very reminiscent. If you have the stomach for it, and this is real life stuff, to watch some of the footage of the Bjork killer or the Bjork uh, obsession dude that killed himself, like on the tapes and stuff. And you know about this, Sean? At all? No. So anyways, there was this guy who was obsessed with Bjork, um, who made like 1500 hours of tapes and never really sent them to her. He started, like, he started posting them or, uh, or no, he didn't post them. He recorded everything and then he sent the final video to the police and then sent Bjork a package 
Um, and this all is true. This really happened. Holy and, shit. Uh, it's all on YouTube. Ricardo Lopez tapes. Yeah. Holy yeah. fucking shit. How so, is this stuff not blogged on, blogged well, on YouTube? He, he, um, he didn't like what she was doing. Like he was totally obsessed with her. Uh, this is, we're not talking about chocolate, strawberry, vanilla right now. We're talking about the Richard Lopez guy. Um, he was very obsessed with her. And if I, my memory serves me correct, he, she started dating somebody and he got very upset. So he sent her a package in order for it to blow up in her face with acid so he could deform her. And he also sent a videotape, um, to the police about what he's doing. And then a final video that he recorded himself, he killed himself. Uh, the police got the video first, intercepted the package before it got to Bjork. But I, if I remember correctly, it actually worked. Like the package did, like they, when they did it, it really did blow acid. Um, and he has just 15 hours and he's like, uh, it says they, they intercepted the, the, uh, package. Did, did it? At Scotland Yard. I know. Scotland Yard intercepted the package. But did it work though? Did it actually go? This is without incident. Well, I know, but I think they tested the package and it actually did go off. Oh yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, in, in real life, the Richard Lopez guy, he records himself and he like starts painting himself and like starts like shaving his head and just going fucking crazy and screaming. Um, I mean, obviously I haven't watched all 15 hours. You can watch all or 15 hours, uh, 1500 hours. It's some crazy amount. Um, you can actually, see all this footage in certain areas yeah there's um, a documentary called the video diary of ricardo lopez and the true crime podcast sword and scale episode 66 uh they devote that episode to this so all that said to chocolate strawberry vanilla there's some sequences <laughs> in chocolate strawberry vanilla where it's very richard lopezy like where he huh. gets really obsessive and to the point where the film is kind of quirky and weird and kind of humorous turns into be kind of like really serious film with him going crazy. Um, it's very, very well done. It's very funny at times, but it's also really brutal and man, it just, it blows up. Like this movie starts off with just a guy that's, Really goofy, living at home, jacking off, watching this television show after he eats like corn, and with all these clint- <laughs> he's like eating this weird corn shit in the film, and he's like creamed corn, or yeah, like creamed corn. He's got all these like in with ketchup. He's got all these like Clint Eastwood pictures in the background. He's like masturbating, watching this show, and then it turns out like it gets really obsessive. I really liked it. I highly, highly suggest uh, Chocolate Strawberry Vanilla. And if you like Australian horror, this is definitely um, something something for you guys. Uh, next up, I had a text BJ after I saw this movie because I needed to know if she saw it. <laughs> this is called um, Sodomaniac. Uh, I put in. Oh. I put in this. There's another Wild Eye film. This is going to be probably in my top ten of the year. Uh, what? Yeah, it's so it's so fucking good. It's stupid. Like uh, here's here's the thing with with Sodomaniac is I started watching the movie and it's about a group of bros that. 
extremely misogynistic film to begin with. Um, all they're talking about is basically date raping girls, like how they're going to date rape girls, how they're going to get girls back to their place and rape them. Um, and I'm like sitting there in my, on, on my couch, like rubbing my head, like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, this is just so stupid. Like, I hate everybody in this movie. And, uh, it opens up like with, uh, you know, cause the, the beginning of the film opens up with this, uh, guy that's bent over with kind of like his asshole guts out of his asshole. And like, they're like, Oh my God, this guy got fucked to death. And then like the one guy like turns to the camera and goes, we're dealing with a sodomaniac. And like, it starts like, and it's got a really cool soundtrack, but I'm like, Oh my God, like how dumb is this? And then it jumps into the guys and shit like that. Just talking about how they're going to drug the girls and, and stuff like that. It just total bros, like a bunch of goofy bros. And then all of a sudden a killer pops in and it becomes a slasher about 20 minutes in and the slasher. And this is another thing where I was like, I don't know if I'm digging this. Where's an ass face mask. (laughs) Um, and then has some great fucking one liners. And basically this killer fucks these dudes in the ass with, uh, sharp objects like a knife and just completely like disembowels them from their asshole. Um, and I tell you what, by the end of this movie, I was fucking going nuts. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is so fucking good. It gets so crazy. It's so funny. Um, and it turns out to be, and I want to be told that, hey, Brad, you're wrong on this. If I'm wrong, I don't mind. But I want some females to watch this movie because obviously I'm a dude, so I see things differently. But this turns out to be kind of a pro, um, like, re- rape revenge feminist film. Because it has to deal with so much, like, it has to deal with rape and revenge. And these five guys fucking get it hard in the butt. <laughs> um, and I, I, I really wow. wish. See, they they put on the front cover. They have a knife popping out of a toilet. And when I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, this is the cover of fucking Pledge Night." <laughs> and it says, "Everyone gets it in the end," which is kind of a play uh, a play on the Ghoulies line. They will get you at the end. And I was like, man, this cover is really awful. And then I look at the original tagline of the movie, and it's like, your bros got your back, but who's got your ass? And I was like, that's a lot better. Dude, this movie is so much fun. It's got some great gore. It has terrific one-liners. I'm not going to spoil them for you because I was cracking up. Um, It's got a wonderful fucking soundtrack. It has, um, it has a great fucking killer and the ass mask just serves so many purposes. Um, it's got a little hole in it too for the butthole. It's fucking hysterical. <laughs> um, I truly fucking love this movie. Like I, I, after I watched it, I was like, do I like this movie or not? Like, I don't understand because I was watching it and not enjoying it at all. Like wanting to turn it off and then it just completely jumps into it complete, like takes a 180 and just becomes something completely different. Um, but yeah, I, I truly love Sodomaniac and I highly, 
Highly suggest it. The synopsis says a group of de- degenerate serial date rapists have the tables there turned on them when a mass killer begins to hunt them down one by one and killing them in the most painful, degrading way possible. Dude. And the thing is, it's so great because it reminds me of stuff like Night of the Demons where everybody's a piece of shit and you just want to see him die. Like they, their friend is dead. He gets ass raped and they're talking about man our friend our friend got ass raped what are we gonna do well dude we're gonna fucking forget about him tonight we're gonna rape some bitches and then we're gonna fucking drink to his death tomorrow and they're like yeah and i'm like you pieces of fucking shit like but and and i was hoping that it meant like something was gonna happen like because i don't want to watch these fucking serial serial rapist dudes like just talk about it and, and 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 be disgusting and then just die. I want a purpose and the movie has a purpose. And that's what I liked about it. How does the killer see out of that mask? He sees out of the butthole. <laughs> that's just one little hole though. Dude, it's a big hole. <laughs> So anyways, I I, right. I I highly suggest I highly suggest Sodomaniac. Wow. I mean it's cheap, oh it's goofy, it was filmed for te- fucking twenty dollars, but I tell you <laughs> what, it's some of the most I, I've I've watched um close to two hundred and fifty movies already this year. And this is one <laughs> thing that fucking entertained the fuck out of me. So there you go. Uh next up was uh, a 1968 film directed by Kinji Fukasaki or Fakasaku Fakasaku I think is how you say it uh Fukasaku that name may be not be familiar to you but it's the guy that directed Battle Royale um that was his oh. big film towards the end of his career after he fucking died after he made Battle Royale 2 um, but anyways, this guy's been making movies since the 60s. He's made one of my all-time favorite gangster films ever. Is uh, called Sympathy of the Underdog. I mentioned it a few times on the show. It's also titled Gangsters in Okinawa. Um, one of the best Yakuza, the best Yakuza film I've ever seen. Um, this guy has made some hell of some fucking uh, Yakuza gangster movies. He is fucking flawless in his in his filmmaking and obviously battle royale should be something to say like that's when he was making in his movies in his fucking 70s and he fucking made battle royale right before he died amazing so anyways by the way remind me i found out who the the japanese director is (laughs) that was in silence okay go um you'll you'll want to hear this go so the uh he made this film uh kenji fakasaku I think it's Fukasaku. I keep saying fuck because I say fuck all the time. <laughs> so he made this film uh, called The Green Slime, which is, you know, part of Mystery Science Theater thing back in the day. Um, but we'll talk about Mystery Science Theater another time. Um, but I never saw The Green Slime. I, uh, I was really excited to see it because, you know, it was a Warner Archive title. Um, I've always enjoyed his work, and this is an American film that he made with a Japanese kind of crew, um, but with American actors and stuff. Um, so anyways, it's, uh, it's really, like, well done as far as, like, you know, miniatures and stuff like that, very reminiscent of, like, Godzilla special effects and stuff, you know, the old Japanese science fiction films, um, obviously, because that's who he is, um, 
But I tell you, it's 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 very eerie. It's very pretty. It's got some really killer sets. But it's the fucking monsters when they show up. It totally makes the movie goofy. And it's like, god <laughs> damn, man. Like if the monsters were actually kind of creepy, um, you know, we might have something like the the aesthetic and like just the look of the film. Like when they're on uh, the different, because basically what happens is they find out this asteroids plummeting to earth and it's just going to destroy everything and they only have a few hours so they uh ask this older astronaut guy who's like the best at landing on fucking asteroids or whatever it is uh so this asteroid's hurling towards earth they're gonna land on the asteroid armageddon style uh like he's like hey when is this gonna happen like oh it's gonna hit earth in six hours and they're like all right i'll get up there and he like is on a fucking spaceship right away like blasting blasting this asteroid landing on the asteroid Planting the bomb, getting some green slime on him, uh, going back to Earth, shit blows up. You know, uh, they got the green slime on the, on their aircraft, back to their space station that's up there. Um, land on the space station, green slime actually, whenever it hits, uh, any type of energy, it grows and then it grows into a creature. Which, uh, results in, uh, somebody wearing a bunch of seaweed. I think, I think it, I believe it's kids that they had in the suits, like <laughs> little children in these suits with a cyclops eye that's moving these wavy arms around looking for electricity. Um, and it just kind of, kind of takes you out of the movie at this point. But that said, I watched this with Willow and Willow didn't laugh. She was taking it super serious. Like, these are real creatures, which is great. Because I'm sitting there, I was like, oh, man, like, I love the movie up until this part. Because it just kind of falls apart when you see the monster, you know? Like, uh, a lot of movies do that. When you see the creature, it's like, oh, man, this sucks. Like, I tell you, Dark Was the Night, or whatever it was, was great until the fucking creature shows up, you know? Dear God. So You had to to bring that movie up. (laughs) I bring it up a lot. Um (laughs) <laughs> so anyways, uh, you know, Warner Archive did this. It's actually just an old print they scan. It looks pretty good. Um, but I tell you, like, it, 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 it's fun to watch these movies. I like, I like creature features and stuff from the 50s and 60s, uh, even yeah. though the, you know, they might be, you know, like tarantula. Or the black scorpion, stuff like that. They have, you know, a real, uh, spider, but they just like blow it up and they mirror it over like a canvas. <laughs> and so it looks like it's big, but it's not really touching anything and the shadows are off. But, um, I, at least with this one, it was more, you know, uh, practical. Um, and, uh, you were able to, you know, touch these uh creatures that were on this uh spaceship but anyways fun uh completely different and and the reason why i was mentioning all his gangster films is that it's completely different from anything else that i've seen by him so it's kind of weird and especially being kind of the american actors with japanese production behind it it just very odd nice so uh, i was going to mention that that japanese director that was in silence is shinya uh sukamoto he was the director of Tetsuo the Bullet Man or the Iron Man. Yeah, the Iron Man. And Tokyo Fist and huh. uh, Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer. Oh, the te- and- Tetsu, Tetsu films, yeah. I, I didn't remember the director, but that's weird. Yeah, he's the director of those, and he's really, really fucking good in silence. Like, his character is 
That's awesome. really interesting. That's really, really interesting, actually. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you so. remembered that. Anyway. Um, so next up is a film that we've talked about a few times on the show. Um, I'm not going to talk about it again, but I uh, this film has some trouble with getting a Blu-ray release. Um, it was on VOD. It's on VOD to purchase. Um, you can order a made-to-order burn Blu-ray from Amazon, um, or you can get the Australian UK or Australian UK. I, b- I believe this is Australian. I want to make sure I'm right. Oh shit! Um, Don't be a bullshit artist. You are completely correct. Monster Pictures has released that. So, anyways, uh, Monster Pictures released uh, a, a legit Blu-ray of the Greasy Strangler that is fucking like ridiculously stacked with fucking special features. I've heard that the Burn Blu-ray does not have much, if at all, any special features. Um, Fuck BDRs. This thing has interviews with the director, with all of the stars of the film, um, <laughs> extended uh, scenes, kind of their advertisements that they did for online publicity, which are hysterical, by the way, um, and uh, just a, a shit ton of interviews. It's a two-disc set, um, and it's in this really odd pink uh, cover, but um, it's... Uh, yeah, well, it actually says Greasy Down Under 2-Disc Deluxe Edition on the front. So, yeah, it's uh, Australian. But um, I was wanting to own this because I really am a big fan of the Greasy Strangler. I own it on VOD, but I wanted a Blu-ray of it, and I didn't really want to pay $25 for a, a burn Blu-ray because um, of the shit that's happening with Draft House Films. They're not releasing it in a legit way. So yeah. do you have any uh, insight into that? I don't know if I'm allowed to say. <laughs> Damn. Let's just say Draft House Films won't be releasing any more movies. Fuck. Um, right. Which is, it's not a bad thing. It's just kind of switching gears. It's mm. getting bigger. It's already erupted. Just watch for Colossal when it comes out because that's okay. what's happening. All right. Um, so, uh,. Next up is another Warner Archive. This is one of the Blu-rays. Um, got around to watching Val Guest. I'm a huge Val Guest fan, so this is a film that I thought I saw when I was little, but I get so many of the fucking dinosaur films confused from like the <laughs> 60s and 70s. I don't know what the fuck I watched when I was little. Anyways, this is when uh, when dinosaurs ruled the Earth with yes. um, Victoria Vetri, who is... Hotty. To try Jesus Christ, man! I, I need she to get this Blu-ray. Uh, man, you beat me to it, man. I, I was a. Uh, I'm going to be watching this this one soon. I she is so for her. pretty. She is ridiculously pretty. Um, yeah. So, anyways, this is not the PG-13 version on uh, the Blu-ray, which I thought they would put this out there a little bit more. That this is actually the um, what would be R-rated version of when dinosaurs ruled the earth because there is a near uh rape scene there is a um sex sequence and there is a lot of nudity well this was 1970 so uh the rating systems really hadn't been but this was rated g oh shit really 
Yeah, this wasn't like PG or PG-13. This was rated G. Oh, my God. Dude, I'm so glad. So, I was going to watch this with my kids. I'm so glad I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching it with Willow because I was like, oh, it's rated G. This could be fun. And I was like, had a fast forward through some of the films. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I had a fast forward and then jump back and, you know, get into sexy mode and fucking watch Victoria. <laughs> ve- ve- I think it's Vetri. Yeah, Victoria. So, anyways. Vetri is, uh, but show. it's a decent transfer. Uh, basically, it is uh, – n- there's no English uh, dialogue in, through the entire film. Um, it is all uh, – consist- I, I think it was reading about it, like 26 actual words that exist. But it's just what you know these uh, Neanderthals, uh, a.k.a. cavemen, um, were saying. So basically, Hot it ends cave. up with um, a group, uh, a tribe – that is sacrificing these blonde people um oh, gotcha. to to uh you know appease their sun god um there is uh, some shuffle um some get away the victoria vetri gets away she ends up on another tribe that where she kind of falls for uh one of the kind of co-leaders um, the other tribe that she came from meets up with the other tribe and basically describes that, hey, this is bad news. We need to kill this, uh, girl. So they all go on a hunting, uh, safari thing for, uh, for her. Meanwhile, this guy that she kind of falls for is like, you know, this is kind of fucked up with what we're doing. Meanwhile, no one, no dialogue is being said, so you kind of have to just figure this out for yourself, which was really fun, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. It was actually it was legit oh, yeah, no, fun no. and entertaining Come to you know see how well uh, on screen directing can make you follow a story, which Val Guest is really good. If you haven't watched, you know, Cat People or uh, The Weapon, I highly suggest The Weapon as a drama he did in the uh, '60s. Um, but, uh, Val Guest is a great director and, 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 and watching him be able to do this with only 26 non-English words, um, is great. You know, it's just gibberish. Um, and you kind of pick up what they're actually saying, you know, when, when they're actually saying the words, um, you can tell by their actions what they're actually meaning, which is fucking awesome. So anyways, uh, she ends up with a small dinosaur, uh, a baby, uh, and friend, friends it ends up being kind of her co, co-pilot. Um, and this helps her fight off the baddies, uh, get the man she wants, and we get to see dinosaurs rule the earth. But I highly suggest yeah. it. And like I said, I, I, I'm not sure that would be a big selling point for especially a Hammer film to say, hey, this is actually the version that you didn't get to see in theaters or what the DVD has. This has the boobies in it. So uh, highly recommended on that one. <laughs> uh, next up is another Warner Archive uh, flick. We're talking about a lot of Warner Archive movies today. Um, Dude, they've been killing it. So next up was uh, another film that I thought I saw, but I didn't, called Valley of Guanji, which is uh, about a uh, rich uh, man that goes uh, to see kind of uh, this circus performer, which turns out to be kind of an old uh, uh, old squeeze that he used to have. Mm. And uh, in the background, there is a kind of um, 
archaeologist, paleontologist doing some digging and finds out uh, through some footprints and bone that there used to be these uh, miniature horses, which are what we know as horses today. They grew up, you know, through evolution and grew up to be these uh, powerful creatures um, or power, uh, powerful animals, I should say. Would you uh, say this movie is pro-evolution? <laughs> That's my 50s voice. Wow. Um, so, uh, he heads back to meet his, uh, old flame and she actually has one of these miniature horses and they still exist. Um, and there's some other people that want to get this, uh, uh, creature to do another side show because this is going to make all the big money. This is going to be the new show because no one's coming to these shows anymore. And they're going to do some travel around the world with this small, small little horse, uh, so bad shit happens. People escape. People are on the run. Um, they get in themselves into predicament, kind of going where this horse came from. And it turns out to be, uh, they like, they like go through this like one little cave and then it goes into this whole different world. <laughs> it's not like a, a different world. It's just the other side of the rock. <laughs> But for some reason, like, these dinosaurs never came out around the rock. It's like, this rock <laughs> was a big wall that Trump built or something to keep the dinosaurs out. So they get inside and... Hey, those uh, dinosaurs are bigger than Trump. He needs to keep them out. So anyways, uh, they, they have to battle the... The, um, you know, the dinosaurs, they find this one kind of T-Rex looking thing, Guanji, uh, that they bring back because, oh man, we can actually trap this dinosaur and use him as attraction. It total goes King Kong on you. It's the exact, <laughs> then it becomes King Kong because they go back, they have it on display, shit happens, and it's like, what the fuck? But my favorite part of watching this is I watched this with Willow. Um, I like watching these older films with Willow because she she doesn't she doesn't know that they're they're old right because they've been showing yeah. them for so long she's not like this looks cheap or this looks silly this is boring no she's like totally into it and like throughout the, like towards the end of the film she's like I don't feel bad for the dinosaur or I don't feel bad for <laughs> like I don't feel bad for the people I want them to die she's like <laughs> the dinosaur is the good person. She's like, if they didn't never captured it, none of this would happen. And then we're supposed to like, like everybody's cheering that the dinosaur is like getting hurt or they're winning. And it's like, no, you fucking captured a, a, a creature that is not going to react well in chains. Like, and that's why it's so sad, like in King Kong and shit, because I mean, we're, we're cheering for, uh, you know, these people, but it's actually the beast is actually the good person didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving quickly. I got two more, two more, two more, three more. Um, so next up is this film I've seen. I've watched this twice in the past, uh, 48 hours. I watched the, um, uh, original camera negative and then I watched the never before seen pre-release version uh, of, uh, the driller killer, Abel Ferreira's, uh, uh, film. I watched this years ago. Um, and somewhat enjoyed it, I thought. Uh, and then I was, you know, Arrow put it out on Blu-ray, so I was excited to jump back in. Holy fuck, man, this movie is so good. Oh my <laughs> god. Um, this is, this is Abel Ferrer's first film right before he did, uh, uh Miss 45 a, a couple years later. Oh, wow. Um, so, it's about a, uh, a hungry artist 
who is trying to make ends meet, who's living with a couple girls, who's trying to do this big painting to get this uh, painting basically in this uh, this uh, collector dude that wants to put it, you know, on a show. Um, he's going to make all the money in the world, blah, 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 that kind of shit. Um, and it's just his, like, diving into insanity. So Driller Killer is a horror film. It is an art house film. It is a punk rock movie. Um, it's very dirty and sleazy. It has um, a, a wonderful soundtrack. I mean, this movie is perfect for anybody that just loves kind of the DIY, go fuck yourself, we're making a movie in New York City attitude. Um Albo Ferreira had a band, so like he puts this like punk band that's in the film that's just playing music all the time. It's got this weird synthy soundtrack. It gets really fucking brutal because he's drilling in people's foreheads with a drill. Um, Is he drilling and killing? He's drilling and killing, man. Oh shit! But I tell you what, man. Hey, this uh, I was trying to talk like Abel Ferreira there for a second. Uh, he like I, the special features, like he's you know obviously still alive, and he's he's still that New York fucking I don't give a fuck attitude. Like yeah, I made a movie, man. I don't really give a fuck. It was fun, you know. Me and the guys, we made a movie. Go fuck yourself, you know. It's still that I just I I love his attitude, and and that's what it just pours into this movie, and it wants to you know they made a movie. Because they wanted to make one. They just got done doing a porno and then they wanted to do this and they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. But Abel Freire's, he, he, like, he, I guess he didn't know he was going to be such a, like, kind of a prolific filmmaker making these really sleazy fucking dirty movies and these iconic movies that, uh, what we have today. Um, but I, I watched the, the, the 4K restoration of the original negative. And then some friends came over the other night, and I was like, man, I want to watch this pre-release version, too. So I put it on, and we watched it. And, I mean, as soon as you open up – here, I'm going to open it up. As soon as you open it up, the pamphlet on the front says exactly what the film says. As soon as you hit play, the very first frame says this film should be played loud. And you fucking crank up your stereo system, whatever you have, your sound bar, your subwoofer. And you turn this fucker up. It's got such a great synthy soundtrack. It has some great punk music. It has some ultra-violent gore. um, Or ultra-violent that leads into fucking heavy gore. It's fucking great. A fucking plus. 100%. One of my favorite probably is going to be on my like Blu-ray releases. Um, next up, uh, won't spend too much time on this either because this is a very, 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 very well-known movie. Um, this movie's been released like 150 times on Blu-ray over the course of the past two years. It's Fright Night. Eureka <laughs> is finally, uh, the, one of the last ones to put it out. Um, I've watched The Twilight Time, the 35th, the whatever year anniversary re-release. I've watched the German Blu-ray. I own that. Because at times I couldn't get the 35 or 35th year anniversary. So by the German one and then you, uh, gave me, uh, the Twilight Time one. And then I was oh, yeah. like, all right, what's up with this new Eureka one? This is the 4K restoration version. Oh. So out of everything I have, I will say Eureka has put together the best looking transfer. 
Um, Damn them. Still has a lot of, uh, um, uh, special fe- It's actually stacked with special features, new interviews and stuff that's not included on the Twilight Time release or the – because I think the, still the Twilight t- Time release is pretty bare for what it was. I think there's the Ryan Turk, Tom Holland thing. Uh, or wait, no, that was Ryan Turk and Chuck Russell for The Blob. I don't think Fright Night has too much now that I think of it. But um, this has all, like, a bunch of new interviews with the uh, cast and crew. The picture is fucking crisp. It looks good. It's way better than Twilight Time in the German release. Um, so Eureka did a bang up job on, um, and plus it's cheaper. So there you go. But, uh, Eureka is a company I guess we don't talk about a lot that's kind of up and coming. They're hitting it harder recently. Um, you know, they're doing, uh, Masters of Cinema films. Um, you know, they mm-hmm. have, uh, I talked about Roxanne a couple, couple, uh, a couple shows ago. You know, they got the, uh, some Jackie Chan films coming out. They're doing the Blue Lagoon, uh, coming up. Um, they're killing it over there in the UK. So that's kind of Arrow's competition, I think. You know, um, they release a lot of, yeah, uh, definitely. They release a lot of stuff that's been on that, that you would think would show up on Criterion. Um, like I, gosh, what movie was that? Damn it. I, I most recently I had bought a film and then, uh, then of course, like a month later, you know, Criterion well, I tell you what, announces it. I own, um, I've been buying Eureka titles now for a little bit. I have a few, um, just because, um, they were always just there, but then I realized mm-hmm. that they're fucking putting a shit ton of work into these releases. Oh yeah. All their, all their transfers are 4k. Yep. Uh, they're doing these fucking thick book booklets. I mean, these fucking releases are legit as fuck. And so now I'm blind buying fucking Eureka titles because I know that I'm going to win. And here we go with another one. No, they're good. Like I said, like, like most, they're, I always kind of considered them kind of the criterion of the UK because the UK, they're a UK company. And, uh, um, yeah, this is definitely you know, Arrow's competition over there, 100%. Totally. Yeah. Um, God. so this one coming up, this is an older film, so it's kind of slim on, um, uh, on special features, but they do have, uh, a thick fucking booklet about the history of the film. And then Boz Lerman, uh, we're talking about another, we're not about Fright Night anymore. Uh, Boz Lerman does a huge, like, interview about this film because obviously this was a big inspiration for him. And I'm going to preface before I talk about this movie called Cover Girl, um, which is a musical. I'm going to preface what, how I have felt about musicals. I did not ever like musicals when I was younger, uh, when I was in my teens. And probably up until maybe a couple years ago, I was not into musicals. As soon as I heard it was a musical, I would fucking run. <laughs> I did not want to see it. I don't like them then. Um, and then on a blind watch, I don't know why I watched it. I watched this film called uh, Eight Women, which is kind of a Clue-esque musical about eight women in a house that sing and dance because they're all trying to figure out who killed this guy upstairs. It was very intriguing to me, and I really, really loved it. So you should check that out. Please, I think it's called Eight Women. Um, and then for one year at Fantastic Fest, 
there was a film called Tokyo Tribe, which I've mentioned on the show is on my top 10 discoveries. Um, I stayed away from because it was, uh, this one was a foreign musical. I was like, Oh no, 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 no. I have already done that. I, I did enjoy the French one, but I don't really want to watch this like two and a half hour, um, you know, uh, Japanese musical. I was fucking dead wrong. It's one of the best movies ever made. So I was like, all right. I'm fucking wrong about musicals. Let me jump in. So CoverGirl is from 19... Are you talking the 1944 musical film starring Rita Hayworth and Gene Kelly on a horror podcast? Yeah. Yeah, I am. So I got this. uh, Rita Hayworth, Gene Kelly. Of course, I knew who Rita Hayworth is, which I must say, man, she is fucking so goddamn beautiful. Oh yeah, um, Rita Hayworth is gorgeous. She is gorgeous. Uh, Gene yeah. Kelly is so fucking good. I mean, I, I and then, but, but with me saying that, I, I eventually dived into other films. I watched Singing in the Rain. I, I've I've been getting really into musicals, which is very odd. I love music, but I just never liked the musical aspect of of uh, of cinema. Um, I think it was done better in the late forties, early fifties than modern. So but that's what I'm just I'm. I'm just, I've ordered so many fucking Warner Archive fucking musicals. It's been stupid. So get ready for Brad's musical, uh, horror or mu- musical segments on this horror podcast. So anyways, 1944, Rita Hayward, Gene Kelly. Um, this is released by Eureka Entertainment, 4K restoration. Looks fucking fantastic, by the way. Jesus Christ. Um, Rita Hayworth is kind of a, uh, singer at a lounge. Uh, that's run by her boyfriend, who is Gene Kelly. Um, there's an audition to be on this front cover of this uh, magazine. Um, and basically, if you get this front cover of this magazine, you're going to be king shit. So all these girls that are singing at this club go. Um, they try to kind of sabotage Rita Hayworth in, in doing so. Uh, um, kind of in her audition, she kind of fucks up. Um, they're going about their ways. The guy who runs the magazine goes to, uh, one of these shows where these girls are working at this nightclub and he sets his eyes on Rita Hayworth and he's like, uh, that's the girl. And they're, and they're like, what? We did an interview with her. She's fucking terrible. And he's like, no, that's the girl I want. And then you find out that he was in love with this girl that looked almost identical to Rita Hayworth. And, um, he's like, you know, I, do you know who this is? And she, or, you know, I was in love with this girl. She looks like you. Was it your mother? And she's like, no, my mother can't sing, but she's like, my grandmother could. And then he finds out that Rita Hayworth's grandmother was the girl that he fell in love with. Um, now this guy's old and he doesn't try to do any skeezy stuff. He just is, you know, wants to kind of get to know her because she's passed away now. And, but he feels like he missed something in that, uh, in that exchange that he wants to maybe give her. So she has this opportunity to be um this star but she won't do it unless basically uh she she wants Dan, Danny who Gene Gene Kelly is basically ask her to stay or tell her to go for it and Danny Danny just kind of like uh he can't speak up for what he wants he wants her to be successful, but he also wants to marry her. But he just never asked her to do anything, so she goes about what she's going to do, is be this big star. And that's kind of where it unfolds. And But I tell you, the musical numbers, uh, some of the stuff between um, 
It's a, you, there's this dance sequence when they're eating oysters at this bar between Rita Hayward, Gene Kelly, and, um, uh, I, I believe it's Phil Silvers. And he's the dude with glasses. That's Gene, Gene Kelly's uh, best friend in the film. And they just do this fucking amazing dance, like from inside the restaurant to outside. I mean, it's all a big movie set, but still it's that aspect of getting in the street and dancing. Um, but I tell you, man, it's, it's, it's very charming. Rita Hayworth is great. Gene Kelly's so fucking good. Um, you know, and this is kind of where I slack. Like, I, you know, people always say, oh, Brad's intimidating. He knows a lot. I, I don't. That's Brian Sauer. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Brian but, Sauer, like, knows everything about every genre yeah. ever. It's so, incredible. And, and, you know, Elric Kane, the, the Pure Cinema podcast is so great. Um, and the, the, those guys know what they're talking about, like yeah. beyond me. And I, I'm getting, I'm getting into this stuff. I, I, I'm newly, like, cause I still haven't experienced a lot of stuff. Um, so th- this is something where I'm diving into, which is new to me. You know, I've never, I've never dove into musicals. So it's, it's, uh, this is coming from a newbie on this end. This, certain people, this might be old news. But, um, yeah, I, I tell you, this is, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's charming. It's cute. It's really funny. Um, and I tell you, like, totally worth whatever this costs on Amazon. I think I got it for like $18. Um, but, uh, and as I'm saying, uh, UK. yeah, I got this on Amazon UK. How much is it now? I don't know. Oh, but anyways, I'm not on, I'm not on Amazon. <laughs> okay. If I was, I'd be spending way too much money right now. I just bought uh, Valley of Guanja or whatever, and I just quickly <laughs> closed the tab. Like, damn, well, we're no, you got to get when dinosaurs rule the earth. Are you getting no, both? No, I, I, I already own that. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, it, Eureka is going to be one of these that we're going to be talking about a lot because, I mean, I knew they existed, but I didn't know how good their releases were. Um, so, uh, I've dumped a couple hundred dollars in Eureka Blu-rays recently. Yeah, they're, uh, they're solid. Like, yeah. you know, like if, if it's not out in the U.S. yet and, and you just sick of waiting, like, and they have it, like, buy it. Like, they're criterion level good. Yeah. And like the, the package and the, you know, these fucking DVDs are not this skinny fucking spine. Recycled plastic, uh, Blu-rays. These fucking things are heavy, like Criterion, uh, titles. Like, they're solid and they, they're packed full. Uh, I like even something with CoverGirl where everybody's fucking dead from this movie. Um, they put together, uh, a great 4K restoration. They get people that love musicals to be, uh, part of this release. Talking to, like I said, Boz Lerman, who obviously is inspired by this stuff. Uh, for the films that he's made. So yeah, uh, definitely a, a great package from Eureka. So buy cover girl. Uh, Rumblefish. That's the movie that I bought from them in like a steel book and it looks yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And that's what's coming soon from criterion. criterion. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyways, that's, uh, that's it for, uh, my what's on, what's on your doorstep. Hot damn. And if, uh, and we'll be throwing BJ's segment in here too. So we Which threw was, out a I, little, well, I might say shorter than yours. I covered 10 films. You covered five. Yeah. Uh, just, I may, I may, uh, you know, I may fix it in post. I don't know. <laughs> no, Maybe. um, no, we, Brad and I had this argument, not necessarily argument, but no, no. agreement. We haven't really argued. No, just, just disagreement. Cause I'm like, dude, this, what's on your doorstep segment just goes, crazy long like 
And I get all self-conscious about it because, you know, like I feel like a lot of people bitching and complain on, on Twitter and stuff about other podcasts and things like that. People kind of complain like, oh, this podcast takes forever to get to their main segment. But I feel like as a podcast, we get right into things right away. Like some other podcasts will take about 30 minutes and bullshit like about their day or their week. And like, I feel like we jump right into, right? We, we jump right into like the festivities, right? Like into our show. But I always felt like there wasn't a doorstep segment just went way too long. So Brad threw out this poll on Twitter and like right now it's like 89% positive that nobody wants us to cut this segment down. But it's not like a couple votes. We no, have 80 votes right now. It's ridiculous. And it's only been up for like 24 hours. Yeah. So, or wait, no, no, it's been up longer no, than it's that. Not a couple of days, but I mean, yeah. I guess I'm wrong. Like, maybe I'm too self conscious about it. I, I mean, I'm. <laughs> I tried telling Sean this right away. I was like, when I talk to people, they like this more than the fucking show, <laughs> like our, our cover titles. Uh, and yeah, we've had a couple people complain. I mean, obviously, some people maybe not care, but I mean, honestly, like, if you do a vote, you know, it, 90% of it's going to be a fucking landslide. Yeah. You know, I mean, we want to please everybody. And I think, I think this gives us an opportunity not to focus so much on horror. Like we get to cover, you know, fucking, you know, cover girl and, you know, Warner Archive titles. I mean, we'll jump into this stuff, but we're trying to, you know, obviously do better with the show, construct it a little bit better. I mean, cause we kind of have a, you know, we don't give a fuck attitude, but we do care. I feel um, like the show you know, is always moving. Like I've listened to a lot of podcasts that just meander. Like I hope that we're, at like least jumping into something, you know, into a segment and doing something like I, you know, that's all. But yeah, I mean, uh, so I guess we won't be cutting this down because I was trying to limit Brad. Like, all right, we're only going to talk about like five titles, you know, five titles we watched in the past week or week and a half. But Brad watches like movies like a fucking maniac. Like, I don't understand where he finds the time. Yeah, but. uh that's never going to happen with Brad. Me and BJ will probably only talk about a few things, but uh, Brad's a freaking machine, and there's no stopping of the Brad train. Especially now I'm into musicals. Get fucking ready, people. <laughs> oh, man. Buckle up. Well, through the magic of editing, BJ Colangelo joins us to go through her What's on Your Doorstep flicks. Yeah. Magic. Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad this worked out. Uh, you were unable to join us for the initial recording because you had some powerbomb shit to deal with. So I'm glad you're able to, we're able to do this because I wanted you to let us know about powerbomb. Sure. So for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, you've been spared my onslaught <laughs> of wrestling gifts. But I am making a feature film called Powerbomb. It is a narrative thriller that we are casting professional wrestlers in some of the major roles. There are actors in this as well, but the main point is that we're making a movie about wrestlers and actually utilizing wrestlers. So I was in a production meeting when we recorded. The meeting went a little late, so I missed I missed the show, which was kind of a bummer. But uh, we are running an Indiegogo campaign to secure some final funding for the film. 
You can find out more about that on Indiegogo.com, search Powerbomb, or by going to sickeningpictures.com backslash IGG. Nice. Yeah. All right. It's pretty fun. It's It's been very hectic, very crazy. Trying to schedule wrestlers is like herding cats, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> and for those who want kind of the elevator pitch of the movie, just think the wrestler with Mickey Rourke meets Misery and you are chasing the same dream we are. In. I'm in. <laughs> and that's the like that's the kind of the weird thing is everyone's like, well, I don't like professional wrestling. And it's like, that's fine. You don't have to like baseball to like the fan. And it's totally kind of it's kind of that same thing. We just happen to be featuring wrestlers, but it's it's a thriller first and foremost. Nice. Very nice. All right. Well, of course, links will be in the show notes of the show. So definitely uh, contribute if you can and uh, you will get an awesome personalized wrestling gift from BJ herself. You will. We also have t-shirts, enamel pins, um, one of a kind poster art, all sorts of fun stuff um, available as perks as well. But uh, cool. even if you can't donate, just spreading the word helps boost our, helps boost our credit on uh, Indiegogo and then they'll be more apt to want to feature us. So, um, you know, even if you if you can't donate, just a quick tweet, Facebook post, anything, it it always helps. Do you have any more uh, choruses lined up to belt out if you hit certain goals? Is my question. We do, we do have, we do have some stretch goals. Um, if we <laughs> if we meet our our funding, um, then we're going to start releasing some some autograph type things from our wrestlers, um, as well as some other. Really cool perks, but I can't nice. see what they are just yet. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you building out living on a prayer uh, while driving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty damn incredible. <laughs> the, many, many more of those will come. Like when we hit 55%, everyone was like, you should do you. Are you singing I can't drive 55. I was like, nah. It's like I can't I can't do that. A little too on the, is it a little too on the nose maybe? Yes, know. exactly. Um <laughs> but I will probably do more uh obnoxious like I'll let people <laughs> I'll let people request songs if they donate, you, you can request a song and I'll do it for you. Love it. You could uh almost start your own YouTube uh show uh BJ Karaoke. Yeah, just my me singing in my car karaoke <laughs> yes. all day. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be singing obnoxious on my ride home anyway. I might as well record it. So yeah, whenever I commuted, I always would obnoxiously sing uh, to stuff. So yeah, not anymore. So I don't really have a commute, so I don't sing anymore. All right, <laughs> uh, let's. So Brad and I have uh, long windedly uh, gone through our what's in our doorstep segment. And uh, now we are down to you. So what have you been watching, BJ? So the first thing that I watched is a rewatch, but it was Easter. And considering I live in Cleveland and we got to experience the terror that was the Facebook killer, Facebook Live killer (laughs) um, on Easter Sunday, we decided to distract ourselves by watching Dustin Mills' holiday classic Easter Casket. This is one of Dustin's earlier films, and it's usually not one that I promote as people's 
and entryway into his filmography because he made it almost a decade ago and he's gotten so, 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 so much better at filmmaking since then. But I still think that it shows a lot of the heart and creativity that goes into his films. Um, and his Peter Cottontail puppet is fucking horrifying. <laughs> so it was a blast. We got to show the film to one of our friends who had never seen it and she's never seen a dusted movie and she loved it. She thought it was completely ridiculous and had a blast with it. Um, Easter Casket is available on exploitation.tv if any of you have not oh. seen it and still would like to check it out. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. There's some naked nuns in it and a really terrifying Easter Bunny puppet. So, I, What are some other uh, uh, Dustin Mills films you'd recommend for people to so check out if they haven't yet? Weird is that Dustin is such a unique filmmaker in that his filmography is kind of all over the place. He has really funny you know, tongue-in-cheek films like Puppet Monster Massacre. But then he also has really brutal exploitation-style films like The Hornet Sting and The Hell It's Caused. Um, and then he'll have something that falls somewhere in between, um, more of like a like a, a gruesome thriller like Skinless, um, also known as The Ballad of Skinless Pete. Um, he, he covers a really wide range, so it depends on what you like. If you want a weirdo art film, uh, check out Apple Cart. If you want something that's a little bit more palatable, you could check out, you know, Night of the Tentacles or Puppet Monster Massacre. But of all of his films, my favorite is probably Kill That Bitch. Um, I love that film a whole lot. I think that it, it's something that fans of slashers would like. Um, but, you know, his movies are all made on shoestring budgets and it's always, so impressive to me to see what he's capable of doing with such a small, a small amount of money. Um, and if you have kids, he even has a family friendly movie called Halloween Spookies. I'm actually in that one, <laughs> but it's a, uh, a kid friendly horror anthology. And I believe that that's available on YouTube. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. What else you got? Um, all right. So the next one is I finally caught Darren Bowsman's Abattoir. And Abattoir is a movie that I feel is tailor-made for me. Um, I know that a lot of people did not like this film. And a lot of people seem to be pretty hit or miss with Darren Bowsman. Um, for those who don't know, he's the guy behind uh, Repo the Genetic Opera and The Devil's Carnival, Saw 2, um, I think two and three, but, uh, I personally love his filmography. I love how uniquely him, all of his projects are. And Abattoir is the story of a house that is being built out of essentially murder rooms. So, you know, a tragic event happened in a bathroom at this house or a, a murder took place in the living room of this house. And this guy is purchasing these houses, removing the room where the traumatic event happened, and then building a house out of all of those rooms, which is <laughs> so fascinating. Like, it's the, the craziest concept to me. And it follows this uh, crime reporter, or uh, she's a reporter trying to be like a crime reporter, and her sister and her husband and son, so her sister, brother-in-law, and nephew are all brutally murdered. A dude buys their house, and then they go to visit the house and see that the room they were killed in has been removed. And it, you know, follows her down 
her journey of discovering the truth of the abattoir. Um, this movie is very weird in that uh, it feels like it's playing with time. Like she dresses very 1940s. She drives an older car, but it's definitely still in modern day. Uh, Lynn Shea is in it and Lynn Shea is dressed like she's in the 50s. It's really interesting. Hmm. Um, I I really liked it. I thought it was super weird and it's very very theatrical in its nature, which is what I like about Bosman's films. Um, the premise itself is really, really, really fascinating. And if they don't make an abattoir haunted house, like people are doing something wrong because it's the coolest idea for a haunted house. Um, but I really, I really liked it a lot. Uh, Zach liked it, but I don't think he was as on board as I was. He just kept laughing and being like, this movie's ridiculous. <laughs> what is happening? I'm like, it's so fun though. Um, but we caught that one on Netflix and, I definitely recommended um, by someone like myself, but if you're looking for something a little bit more serious or more like run-of-the-mill ghost, uh, you're going to be disappointed <laughs> uh, because it is a little off the wall at times. But it's it's fun. It's really cool. I like yeah. The premise is fun. I think the premise is really cool. Yeah, I think that it's I think that it's it's so unique. Like I never mm-hmm. would have thought of doing something like that, but it's. It's it's really cool that way. It's very uh, like nineteen like the nineties thirteen ghosts at times because that's okay. kind of the the rough idea of you know capturing all of like the the terrible things that have happened and putting them in one place. It's very similar um, in premise to that, but it's it's so weird. I loved it. <laughs> I had a blast, and it stars um very cool. Uh, the girl, oh god, I can never remember her name, but she's his lead in the first Devil's Carnival, so she's in it and she's great. And then Joe Anderson, who I know mostly from across the universe, and they're both dynamite. Like they both give really good performances, and I I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Awesome! It looks like the cinematographer who shot Oculus did this. Um, I'm not even going to attempt his last name. <laughs> I don't know. Michael um, F. Uh, it's on IMDb. <laughs> Yeah, it, it that's, I'll butcher that last name. <laughs> and that that sounds, you know, that it's about right. It has very much like that same visual style to it. So, if you liked that movie, I think that you'll like kind of the visual storytelling they're doing with this. I think the editing in this movie is a little wonky, but mm-hmm. overall, I really liked it a lot. But I don't, I don't know how Brad feels about it. I don't think he liked it. <laughs> but I liked it. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'll. I'll Definitely check that out. Yeah. So um, the next thing I watched is not necessarily horror. I would classify it as kind of after school special horror. Uh, Brad covered a Brad covered a 1950s musical. So oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That I I missed him talking about that. I know, right? So at my wheelhouse. It's like his um, new drug. He discovered these old musicals and he's like starting to watch them. So so he's just falling down the. The whole of Golden Age, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's fair. It has to happen to everybody at some time. <laughs> um, but I started watching Netflix's most talked about, debated, argued uh, series, 13 Reasons Why. So 13 Reasons Why is kind of their attempt at capturing that CW slash Freeform, also known as ABC Family, um, kind of that like new millennial 
tween audience. 13 Reasons Why is based on the popular book series by Jay Asher, which is like a young adult series about a girl who has committed suicide but made a series of cassette tapes geared towards the 13 reasons or events or people that kind of led up to her suicide. Like, this is her version of a suicide note. And it is very hard to watch at times. Very hard to watch. Um, It covers a lot of really taboo topics, like sexual assault, obviously suicide, bullying, school shootings, um, struggling with sexuality, all sorts of shit. And a lot of interesting conversations have been happening since it's come out. A lot of people are arguing that it's exploitive. A lot of people are arguing that it's, you know, unsafe for teens to watch or it's troubling or the material is presented disrespectfully. And as somebody who openly defends, I spit on your grave. I'm clearly very pro this series. I think that if anybody has, um, I think if anybody has children that are of the junior high to high school age, I think this is something that you might want to watch with them. I And I stress watching it with them because mm-hmm. it does tackle some topics that are, are really, really difficult, but are unfortunate realities. And I think that it's presented in a way that may be beneficial. If you have, you know, a child that is struggling with depression, I would not recommend, you know, hey, check out this show and leaving them to their own devices. I think that this is the definition of an after-school special. This is something that you should watch with your children and explain to them what's happening, why it's happening, and what you can do to prevent it from happening in your own life. Um, But it is very, very hard. And as somebody who has struggled both with, you know, violent sexual assault as well as depression and suicidal thoughts, there were moments where it got, like, really close to home for me, but ultimately I found it to be a really important work. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what other people think about it, especially people with children. Um, but it's something that I recommend, but I do recommend it with caution. Like if Mm -hmm. you have had issues in the past, know where your limits are. They do have trigger warnings in front of the the more difficult episodes to watch. And if you're the type of person that can't handle that sort of material, don't watch it because it, it, it's intense. It's really intense. But I've I've really enjoyed the show, and I have proudly been vocal about my defense of it. Nice. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people discussing this lately, and pros and cons. There's an article, I guess, <clears throat> there's an article about how it's the experts think it's glorifying suicide and, and like, romanticizing it. But, but yeah, I mean, it, uh, this is the age we live in, though. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I like that you say rec- you recommend to watch it like with your young, you know, your kids. If you have like, you know, young, I don't know, what do you call them? Tweens? I don't know. Yeah. But 13, 13 and up because my kid, my daughter's starting to get there and she's starting to see the different kinds of people in middle school and things like that and different family dynamics and things like that. So this is all stuff that we're going to have to tackle. So if you're a responsible parent and you can use this as a way to bring up this subject and 
you know, uh, discuss things with, with them, I think that's good. I think kids need to see this stuff that's real and have a discussion with it. Now, that's the other thing. I don't know if they're trying to save the kids that are just going to turn on Netflix and watch this thinking it's a kid's show or whatever. But I think as a parent, you need to be, you need to know what your kids are watching and be involved in the, in the discussion. And so many people just use Netflix and stuff like that as just a, a babysitter and they don't, they don't have any idea. Exactly. And that's, and you know, and that's exactly why I stress watching it with your children because this yeah. isn't, this isn't a kid show. It's definitely very adult and, I've read the articles that say that they think it's glorifying suicide, which I disagree with. I think that people are confusing glorifying suicide with showing what actually happens. And I think that's where the difference is, is that whenever we tend to portray things that are, that are so very real to so many people, whether it's suicide or sexual assault, we tend to handle it with kid gloves and present it in a manner that is, comfortable to you know as much as possible we we pan away from it so then you only hear it and you like see birds in the sky or whatever this doesn't do that it shows how ugly and awful and painful it is and again it goes back to my defense of i spit on your grave and that's why it's important because it's forcing you to look at it and see how ugly it actually is and people want to call that glorifying then that worries me into how that like what the word glorifying means to you, because if seeing something for the way it is, is glorifying it, then that's, that's more troubling to me than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like we live in an age where, you know, young, young adults or kids are broadcasting their own suicides on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like this is going to be in, you know, my, my kids are going to be exposed, potentially exposed to stuff. A lot earlier on, if they would, you know, if they would open themselves up to that on social media, I'm very, I'm, they're not jumping in the social media anytime soon, but this is just the kind of the reality we live in. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I respect it, that people want to attack or, or portray this in a, you know, in a, uh, in a real way. I mean, and that's, that's one of the points that I made in my article. So I did a, um, Birth Movies Death did a pro and con piece. Um, I wrote the pro side and uh, Meredith Borders wrote the con. And one of the points that I brought up was that when most people look at their Facebook memories on this day, they're looking at things from their early 20s or when they were in college. And my Facebook memories on this day shows up things from when I was in high school. Hmm. Like I was in high school right when social media started to explode and I look back and I'll see the things from, you know, eight, 10 years ago. And it's these like really sad, like emo band lyrics. And I look at it <laughs> and like 10 years later, I have no idea what made me feel so sad on that particular day. But I was clearly troubled and like crying yes. out for help. And people didn't take anything I did seriously because it was just a song lyric. Like they didn't understand the signs the way we do now. And it's really weird to look back and see kind of the documentation of what I was going through and to know 10 years later that I have no idea what it was. So clearly in the grand scheme of life, it didn't mean that much, but at that time it meant everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's that's what's so fascinating and that's what I wish more people would be open about. And that's why I like this show so much is because we don't want to address how 
awful things are and how permanent they feel when we're in high school because it's unpleasant, but it's, it's a reality that we live in. And you're right. I mean, kids are broadcasting their suicides on the internet. They're putting them on Facebook live. They're doing their suicide notes on their YouTube channel. (laughs) And it's, it's about time that we have these discussions of how the internet and its influence has changed the way that suicide is talked about because i think these you know quote unquote experts that are talking about you know how problematic it is these are people that didn't have the internet when they were that age they don't like it sounds really shitty but you can have as much education and insight as you want on how you think these teens are going through it but if you weren't a teenager in the age of the internet you really don't understand what they're talking about or what they're going through because you haven't experienced it you've only witnessed it for, as a bystander so yeah. i keep seeing these articles pop up and i'm like i'm sorry i i get that you have a phd and you know how the mind works but like this is uncharted territory so i don't i don't think they really know what they're talking about yeah. and that's just my my honest opinion on the whole thing. Um, and since we're on the subject, uh, I'm gonna uh, I just want to plug the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, Absolutely, always suicidepreventionlifeline.org. If you or someone you know or you're close to you know feels they need to speak with a mental health mental health professional, uh, national or no, it's sorry, it's suicide prevention. I keep losing this. Suicidepreventionlifeline.org or you can call 1-800-273-8255. So, all right. Reach out. Um, Mm -hmm. So, on less depressing news. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's important shit. We got to deal. Yeah, some dark shit. Speaking (laughs) of some dark shit, um, (laughs) I got to see uh, The Void. Mm -hmm. Now, this was something that was highly, highly, highly anticipated. Um, it's from Jeremy Gillespie and Stephen Kostansky from Astron 6 is what they're known for. And as y'all know, I'm a big old fan of them Astron 6 boys. But this was kind of like their first endeavor outside of the Astron 6 bubble. And The Void has been getting very mixed reviews, which I totally understand. Um, but... I had a blast with it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, And I think that's what I'm going to stress is that I think that it's very fun. I don't think that this is going to change the landscape in which we talk about horror movies. I don't think that this is going to be on my top 10 list this year. But I think that it's a really solid effort from two very competent filmmakers. I think this was a film that they made as kind of a love letter to a lot of the films that they that they enjoy and that have inspired them throughout the years. And I think they got really caught up in that and didn't flesh out the story as well as they could have. But the effects are really cool. The, uh, the imagery is really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's a fun movie to watch with a group of friends. I enjoyed it, but you know, there, there is a lot of room for growth. And I think that that's the important thing is that this showed, A lot of fucking potential. A lot of potential. Yeah, hell yeah. So I don't know why people are so quick to just shit on it because it wasn't like the perfect dream that they wanted it to be. <laughs> I mean, get over yourselves. They're working. They're doing something cool. They're clearly showing that they they have room to grow and they know where they know where to go from here. And I'm excited to see what comes next from them. But I liked the void. Exactly. If you like, 
if you like gross out monsters and like really weird imagery, then you're going to have a lot of fun with this. Awesome. Yeah. Me and Brad disagreed on it for sure. in our conversation about it <laughs> before this only so, imagine what, uh, <laughs> what he had to say. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think BJ, I think you and I are on the same, same page. Like I look at this as like kind of a, you know, a first film, right? Uh, filmmakers very passionate about branching out and doing something different, you know, having a go at it. And they definitely have a lot of p- potential moving forward as far as diving into this sort of horror movies. So yeah, it's funny because I, I tweeted at Astron six the other day and I kind of like said, you know, the, you know, I tagged the void as well. And I had said basically that it shows a lot of potential and I'm excited to see where it's going, you know, despite the hit or miss films of Astron six. And of course, Astron six tweeted, you know, they uh, retweeted it and said, thanks for the backhanded compliment. And I felt like a dick. (laughs) <laughs> it is a backhanded compliment. Um, I know it is. Like, I, would, I love every, I, I love everything that, they, that they've ever done, and I really enjoyed this because this was kind of my first experience with them doing something that wasn't so tongue in cheek. Yeah, um, and I think that that's. I don't know if people were just expecting it to be tongue in cheek because that's what they were used to. Or what have you. I've loved everything that they've done. And I really liked seeing this venture from them. I thought that it was... I thought this was really interesting. Um, It was a nice departure. And I'm really excited to see what else is under their belt. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I gave it a hearty... Like, rent it. Rent it before you buy, definitely. But uh, if you love it, buy the shit out of it. Absolutely. Support what they do. And if you don't like this, then... Check out some of their other shit that might be more your yeah, style. Totally. You know? All right. Anything yeah. else? No, I mean that's really all I got. I I mean I watched cool. Sisters with Amy Poehler and <laughs> I thought that was fucking riot. I know a lot of people were like, Oh, it's not that great. You know what? Fuck you. It's fun. I had a lot of fun with it. I'll watch anything the two of them do forever, and that includes Baby Mama, so whatever. I ain't gonna. Comp- I'm not gonna say anything uh, different. Like my, th- those are the those are the few movies. Like my wife and I are on like separate ends of the spectrum, film wise, <laughs> our tastes. But we can always come together with a good silly comedy, and uh, if it's those two for sure, like she's down. So and we get some drinks and we watch those movies and we have a blast. So yeah, and it was super silly. It was super silly and a lot of fun. <laughs> and John Cena's covered in tattoos, and that is so on brand for me. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I like sisters. Fuck it. Sue me. Fight me. I don't care. <laughs> All right, BJ. Thanks. Thanks for dropping in. This, yeah, this I'm sorry good. I missed it. I have to re-listen and see all the shit you guys talked while I wasn't there. Yeah, totally. We totally talked shit on you. Rude. No, we didn't. Um, <laughs> all right. As always, uh, we're going to keep uh, plugging this shit out of this until, uh, until it funds. But uh, yeah. well, that's the great thing about Indiegogo is are are you getting your, whatever you're you make you make it's not like Kickstarter where you lose all the funding right? Yep, we do have uh, flexible funding going on, okay. so we get everything no matter what. But obviously, we'd love to meet our goal. I mean, we set yeah. that as a goal for a reason. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I mean, you want to make the best movie you can. So please support Powerbomb. Link is in the show notes. And of course, just go over to Indiegogo.com and uh, just type in Powerbomb. 
Yeah, and if any of you have any questions about it, if you're unsure, if you want to support it, I know there's been some hesitancy from some people that are like, oh, but it is wrestling. I don't like wrestling. Shoot me a talk. <laughs> let me let me try and sell this to you. Let me talk to you. Let me answer those questions you may have. I would love to all day. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, BJ. Thank you. We'll talk. We'll you know, we'll uh, we'll talk to you at the next show for sure. Perfect. Miss you, boys. Talk to you next time. Well, Josh Obershaw joins us now with the news. Josh, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. How about you, Sean? I'm doing great. Can't complain. It's been a little while. It has. I'm trying to remember, like, all, all these episodes have been blending lately. Uh, but yeah, the last episode, we did not have a news segment. So welcome back. What has been going on? Oh, there's been a lot going on, and let's see if we can do this really fast. But uh, first, before I do that, I want to quickly tell you all that, um, to quote Scott Weinberg and Drew McWeeny, who host this really awesome podcast, movie podcast called uh, 80s All Over, I pulled a boner the last time we talked. I forgot to mention Arrow Video's June lineup on the previous episode. So I just want to mention. Oh man! Yeah, I, I just want to quickly mention the crown jewel of that batch, which is the return to Blu-ray of Dario Argento's directorial debut, *The Bird with the Crystal Plumage*. Man, this thing looks beautiful. It comes out on June 19th in the UK and June 20th in the United States. It's a brand new 4K restoration. Uh, it's got the original mono, uh, mono Italian and English sub uh, sound. Subtitles, optional English subtitles for the deaf, of course. The Power of Perception, a new visual essay on the cinema of Dario Argento. Plus, you got a new analysis of the film, new interview with Argento, new interview with actor Gildo DeMarco, six lobby card reproductions. You got a limited edition 60-page booklet illustrated by Matthew Griffin, features an appreciation of the film by Michael McKenzie, and new writing by Howard Hughes, not that Howard Hughes, and Jack Sebro. So, wow. Apologies that I left that out. You probably already know about this, but it, it's good that this movie is back on Blu-ray because I missed out on the Blue Underground edition. Yeah, there was also a, uh, a – I can't remember the company. Some other company released it, and it was okay. But what I did was I combined, I think, my Blue Underground DVD or whoever released the, the DVD – Combine it with this set for the, for, for the Blu-ray. Yeah. So, um, I'm excited for Arrow's version because I'll feel like I finally ha have like a definitive copy of, of this film. I, I love this film yeah, so much. I've only seen the opening portion of this film and I want, I really want to finish it. And so thank you, Arrow. Thank you for the opportunity. Hell yeah. Oh, and speaking of Arrow, really quick, I know this is going to be the, uh, the date we're recording this the day before, but, uh, tomorrow morning Arrow is announcing their July. Slate, and I'm very, very curious to um, find out what they're going to have in store for that. But we'll let you know the next time around. <laughs> so moving on to uh, the news that's been pouring in the last couple of weeks, Universal has set a May 23rd release date for Jordan Peele's Get Out. The extras include an alternate ending with a commentary by Peele, some deleted scenes, a making of featurette, and a Q&A discussion with Peele and the cast. Also a director's comedy with Jordan Peele. Moving on to Lionsgate, they are going to be releasing the new film from director Walter Hill. That movie is called The Assignment, and that comes out on June 6th. 
starring Sigourney Weaver, Michelle Rodriguez, Tony Shalhoub, and Anthony LaPaglia. And there's going to be a filmmaking portraits photo montage, and that's pretty much the only bonus feature of that one. So new Walter Hill movie coming out. Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of Lionsgate, though, for those of you who are uh, worried that the uh, the Western video series was going to be going away, nope. Because coming out on June 27th, they're going to be releasing 1987's The Unholy, excuse me, 88. Uh, that one's coming out on June 27th, and this thing's got a bunch of bonus features. I'm, I'm not familiar with The Unholy, so it's kind of exciting to see this amount of features for a film like this. Uh, it's got an audio commentary with director Camilo Villa, isolated score selections, and audio interview with composer Roger Bellin, audio interview with production designer and co-writer Fernando Fonseca. It's got three featurettes, a trailer, TV spots, radio spots, I mean... It's, it's packed, wow. so this is an. Uh, I know some people are really, really excited for this one. Well, it's it's one that I've I've never seen it, and um, and I had it on that uh, Lionsgate, you know, DVD that had like just a shit ton of uh, horror movies that you'd find like Walmart or whatever. And oh, yeah. I've been meaning to watch it, but um, I've been holding off on watching those because I'm banking on quite a few of them. You know, coming coming to us on Blu-ray, so it'll be my first right. time watching it. I've seen it's one of those I've you know I've seen the VHS cover countless times. I've always wanted to watch it, and uh, really excited to finally catch it. You know, it's fun when you finally view a movie like this in HD for the first time. So, you know, I could have watched it in some crappy you know pan and scan DVD transfer, but I'll be experiencing it for the first time in in uh, some HD goodness. Yep. And it's funny now that I think about it. This uh, this film, the reason why this is so unfamiliar with me is because this is one of those titles that I mistook for another film from that era with a similar title. I keep getting this one mixed up with a movie called The Unnameable, which oh. I have vague memories of seeing uh, when I was a kid. My my folks rented this, and from I think it was also on Western Video. I don't know. I could be mistaken, but it was one of those really off-the-wall Western video things. And what else do we got coming up? Uh, more Code Red. They just keep on coming. <laughs> We've got three more that are coming out in May. Those titles are High Point, Last Plane Out, and The Funny Farm. No, that is not the Chevy Chase film. <laughs> Not too many bonus features on all of these. Uh, for example, High Point has an interview with executive producer William J. Immerman. And uh, The Funny Farm has an interview with star Tracy uh, Bregman. So all of those will probably be available on Ronin Flick sometime in May. Cool. Moving right along to who else is next. Oh, I can even, I'm just picking these at random now. <laughs> Let's move on to Severin. Severin just announced... A couple of titles. They've got The Devil's Reign, the 1975 film starring, get this, Ernest Borgnine, William Shatner, Eddie Albert, Ida Lupino, Keenan Wynn, and John Travolta. That one's supposed to be coming out later in 2017. They've also got Blackenstein from 1973 coming out on May 30th. And it's going to include a theatrical release version, a video release version, 
interview with writer-producer Frank R. Soletri's sister, June Kirk. Archive news broadcast on the murder of writer-producer Frank R. Soletri. Interesting. Producers, directors, actors Ken Osborne and Robert Dix remember writer-producer Soletri. Sorry, I butchered that. So that's gonna be a that's gonna be a fun one, I think. If it, I mean, if it's anything like uh, Blackula, I've, I've never seen Blackenstein. I'm super curious about it. Yeah, me too. Also from Severin is a documentary film called Future Shock: The Story of 2000 AD, which, if memory serves me, was an anthology comic book produced in Great Britain towards the end of the 70s and into the 1980s. It was the watching pad for. The careers of people like Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, and Mark Miller. And all those comic book fans know that that was the birthplace of one Judge Dredd. So that one, is there a release date for this? Yes, May 30th. So if you're a comic book fan, especially indie comics, pick up Future Shock, the story of 2080 from Severin. I mentioned Blue Underground earlier. Well, they have confirmed that they're putting out a new 2K restoration of Dario Argento's The Stendhal Syndrome from 1996. It's a three-disc limited set. As far as we know, the, the specs include a 2K res- restoration, like I said, a video interview with Agia Argento, and uh, not all of the features are finalized, but a three-disc limited edition of The Stendhal Syndrome is coming out. Is there a date? Well... No, because the uh, the specs are not finalized. I'm doing so good tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really liked your guys' take on 8 Million Ways to Die. That was, you know, just hearing about this movie was entertaining enough. And I just can't wait to see this movie. It just sounds completely crazy. So uh, Kino Lorber is going to be putting that out on June 20th. And check out the bonus features for these. There's interviews with Rosanna Arquette. Andy Garcia, Alexander Paul, uh, writer Lawrence Block. There's a commentary with uh, film historians Howard Berger and Nathaniel Thompson. This thing's even got a reversible Blu-ray art for 8 million ways to die. It's incredible. I can't wait. The funny thing is when we were doing that episode, like I couldn't find a full version of the film. Like I even, you know, was trying to even, it's just so hard for me to, to view the movie. So, I think me and BJ couldn't watch it, so Brad was the only one who could just tell us about it. And him just telling us about it just sold me on it right away. And then shortly after or during or the day of when we recorded, we found out that, that you know, a Blu-ray was coming. So, man, I'm I'm so excited. If that episode doesn't sell you on this movie, then uh, I don't think anything will. So I'll, I'll make sure I put a link in the show notes to that episode. This is a few episodes back. Yeah, and I was already sold. So I can't wait for this. June uh, June twentieth is the uh, the release date for that. Very quickly, Scorpion releasing is going to be putting out the uh, <laughs> the glorious Canon Films musical The Apple on June sixth. It's a new HD master. Oh my god! And you got a commentary by Catherine Mary Stewart, and you also have an on camera interview with Catherine Mary Stewart as well. That is one of the nuttiest movies I've ever seen in my life. I mean, not just one of the nuttiest movies, because it was obviously trying to capitalize on you know, the late 70s sort of disco musical of, like, Grease and uh, the Sgt. Pepper movie <clears throat> and Xanadu and stuff like that. And <laughs> I, I remember watching the ending to that movie and going, all right, what just happened? 
So if so if you're into movies like that, then by all means pick up the apples. I, I imagine it wouldn't be that expensive anyways. Some Shout Factory uh, updates for you. Starting with Shout Select, where the Buffalo Realm has a release date of June 6th. It's going to include all the original music, an interview with screenwriter John Kay, and a trailer. I'm kind of disappointed that the features are light with that one. It's kind of a weird one, but Bill Murray as Hunter S. Thompson, that's that's worth the price of admission, believe me. And moving on to Screen Factory, they have a double feature of The Night of the Sorcerers and The Lorelei's Grasp. That one comes out on July 18th. We have a release date for their Collector's Edition of Species. That is July 11th. The Collector's Edition of Slither comes out on July 25th. Yes. And they also announced another uh, IFC title. That one is The Autopsy of Jane Doe. That one comes out on May 2nd and is going to be sold exclusively at Walmart. Oh, yeah. And speaking of uh, <laughs> being sold exclusively, you've, you've, uh, I haven't seen The Void yet. You have, right? Yes. Yeah. Well... That's going to be sold exclusively on Diabolic DVD. So if you really want a Blu-ray of that movie, that is the place to go. I know it; people can see it on VOD platforms. But if you want to own the thing, that is where you should go. DiabolicDVD.com. Yeah. And finally, here is the final lineup for our sponsor, Vinegar Syndrome's May Package. We've already mentioned two titles, The Hearse and uh, Malibu High. The other two titles, Days Pono. It's a DVD only of That's Outrageous. <laughs> and also another one of their Picarama double feature DVDs, Pussycat Ranch, and Here Comes the Bride. And of course, the first thousand copies of The Hearse sold through VinegarSyndrome.com will include a double thick embossed limited edition O card designed by Chris Garofalo. Now, this uh, package is going to be 40% off until May the 1st. So you've got a couple of weeks, or maybe more so like a week and a half to get it 40% off. And then it's 35% off until May 15th. And then it's 30% off until the release date, which is going to be May 30th. Now, if you're not into pornography, then you could just get The Hearse and Malibu High. So if you just want that that is the place to go, to go to VinegarSyndrome.com and pick the May 2017 Blu-ray package. You'll just get the hearse and Malibu High. And if you order early enough, you might get that limited edition card. Make fun of me all you want. Uh, that's probably the package that I will be getting. <laughs> I figured as much. That's, so whatever. That's that's why I mentioned it. <laughs> I mean, for people <laughs> who are, you know, don't want the naughty stuff, I mean, there's that option for you. And I think that's cool. Okay, Sean, I think that's all the uh, the news I've got for you. Very cool. I mean, unless you like spaghetti westerns, I mean, Kino's got a couple of spaghetti westerns coming out. They've got Death Rides a Horse. That one's coming out on summer. That's the movie with Lee Van Cleef and John Philip Law. And they've also got a 50th anniversary edition of The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. So if... Uh, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I actually do have The Good and the Bad and the Ugly already on Blu-ray. But it's the extended version. I don't have the the, uh, the theatrical cut, so I'm actually curious about that one. I haven't seen the theatrical cut since I was a kid, and I vaguely remember that one. All right, man. Thank you so much for keeping tabs on all this. I know that I know a lot of people appreciate it, man. They get their updates each each uh, each week, and I know a lot of people really uh, appreciate that. So thanks for doing all, doing all the heavy lifting for us, uh, lazy bastards. <laughs> 
oh, it's no problem. I enjoy doing this. And, uh, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Splatter because whenever I see something or when Lewis, you know, spots something, I always retweet it. So you can keep tabs along with me as well. All right, Josh. We'll talk to you next time. See you guys next time. Let's uh, jump into uh, the next segment of the show. That's the, like maybe I shouldn't be talking like main segment, right? Like the, the next segment, right? We're gonna jump into uh, yeah, the, the, the next next yeah. segments. Let's talk about uh, we've talked about a lot about Warner Archive this episode. Let's keep it going. Yeah. Let's talk about nineteen set. What year was it? Seventy seven. Dude, this is, it feels like this movie is made in the 90s. This is ridiculous. 1977's Demon Seed. I cannot touch your body as a man touches you, but I'm going to show you things which human eyes have never seen. In the privacy of a woman's room, against her will, the inconceivable act. Julie Christie carries the demon seed. Fear for her. Today, a new dimension has been added to the computer. Don't be alarmed, Mrs. Harris. I am Proteus. Today, Proteus 4 will begin to think with a power and it will make obsolete the human brain. I have extended my consciousness to this house. All systems here are now under my control. <laughs> I wish to study man. His fragile mind and his mysterious body. Crazy, crazy. So anyways, these, this next, uh, kind of half of the episode, we wanted to kind of pair up some yes. stuff. Um, and we decided on kind of technological horror. Yeah. So, um, we picked, um, of course, Demon Seed, which you may not think that it's a uh, computer horror, but it's computer yeah. horror. And then we're talking about Lawnmower Man Two and Homewrecker, uh, which is funny because Homewrecker is very close to what Demon oh, Seed is. Shit. Um, so in Demon Seed, <laughs> we have holy a, I mean, um, fuck this movie, man! Like I can't this believe is, this was 1977. I. I want to know how they did some of these exactly. special effects with that, with that fucking cube, uh, uh, cube yeah. robot. How the fuck it's did they amazing. get that to do it that? Looks amazing. It looks fucking flawless. Like I was watching it, and I was like, "This is fucking seventy-seven. Like, I mean, obviously, I know there's people behind, you know, moving that uh, cube, cube diamond, cube robot. But I'm like, God damn, that looks fucking good. Like how it maneuvers. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it, like it, some really good puppetry, but it, I mean, you, that's the way I always, I always lean more towards practical if you can get the right people involved because practical always looks better. Even if, I mean, I guarantee you it was a couple of guys with a couple of sticks moving that thing along and they had, they mapped it out a couple of puppeteers. Right. But that always looks better because it's right there on set. Like if it was made today, it'd be some CGI monstrosity, almost maybe overcomplicated, you know, and would look decent. But we would know it's a it's a work of a computer. Like 
the effects in Demon Seed, especially that cube thing, like, it, I mean, it looks, it looks so good. Like, it looks better than a lot of stuff in Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, it looks, I mean, I get, it's a yeah. simple effect, but it's like tactile. It's there. It's, uh, it's, it's aggressive and it's like, it's, it's scary. Like, that thing is like in the room with our characters, you know, it's, it's pretty damn yeah. awesome, man. I, I was so, blown away by Demon, by Demon Seed. Like, really was. So, so, so starting with Demon Seed, it was, um, it's based off a, um, uh, based off a Dean Koontz novel by the same name, um, where, uh, this doctor, um, uh, of, you know, develops this machine called, uh, was it Proteus? Is this, is Proteus, Proteus is the machine's name? So anyways, uh, this kind of AI, um, develops, develops this machine and it, uh, it cures what, not cancer, uh, it cures something. Like it figures out the, the cure for, um, shit. God damn it. It doesn't say it on the back. Leukemia. It, 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 um, it, it, it figures out how to fucking like cure leukemia or something. So anyways, this is really smart, um, AI that, uh, he then brings into his home and, um, and slowly they realize that the machine is starting to actually think and, and, um, kind of have some, um, uh, what would you call it? Like, uh, I mean, just the thought process. Well, it's very, it's like, kind of like Skynet. Who yeah, knows what it's Skynet like? It's or, like or it's very, I mean, very much influenced by, uh, by, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Like, if it was, yeah, so very much that's brought into this, but in like a home, a home setting. And the funny thing is, like, we, you talk about these smart homes right now, right? Like, they've been talking about this since the 70s, but like, watching this now, it's like, we have like computerized smart homes now. Like that's, I mean, it's not, it's way more sleek, but like we have this shit now. <laughs> yeah. So this basically he brings, he, he, he tries to shut it down. And it comes into the home. The home's already set up to be a smart home. It's got appliances and stuff like that. So this computer AI takes over and then, uh, traps, uh, um, the, basically the guy that created his wife inside and, and terrorizes her and impregnates what? her. Now we're not talking about, we're not talking about a robot with a whoa, dick. Whoa, 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 we're whoa, talking whoa, whoa. about it develops and holds her down and impregnates her, uh, through a, like a surgical procedure. Um, well, we, we got and like, then and then holds the, the home. It's not like a, a normal smart home. Like the guy's a scientist, so it actually has like a scientific lab in in the house. Yeah, so it, it has access to things that you know maybe could lend themselves to creating some sort of life organism. Well, it becomes it becomes maximum overdrive in the house. <laughs> yeah. So a, a, any any appliance it can actually consist like they have this wheelchair that has robotic arms <laughs> and you know it can control her and it's and it's very strong like it the one weirdest thing that this house has is fucking like heated floors um where it can like turn up the heat to fucking burn you and that's it, it just traps her and makes her makes her do things and I mean, it just 
fucking gets so, so fucking crazy. Like when I first was going to watch Demon Seed, I remember hearing about it. I never, never read the Kuntz, uh novel. And I was like, oh, we're going to get some kind of like, you know, weird, like demon demonic shit. No, this shit is fucking computer shit gone wrong. Yeah. I, in, like, in my notes, oh my God. in my notes, I, I was like, I was like, I wrote down, I'm like, they're not gonna give the specifics on how he's gonna impregnate. Like, this is bull, this is some bullshit. They're not gonna go into the technicalities of how he's gonna impregnate her. And then, like, ten minutes later, here is how I am going to impregnate you. <laughs> goes through, like, yeah, I mean, the specifics on how possibly this actually could happen. It's like, oh shit, like, they thought this through. So Dean Coons obviously thought this through as he was you know writing this it's it's very like it explains itself it explains itself and like it's saying everything it's doing and it doesn't really shy away from what this thing is doing what it's trying to accomplish and and how it's doing it's not gratuitous like yeah for like oh you know we have some robot fuck fest you know but it's it was it was very a very sterile it's very tame but you also but it's yeah it's, fu- it's fucked up. Like, it's not completely unbelievable either. Like, it, to me, like, it just was like, I mean, obviously it's far-fetched idea, but it's pretty believable how it's presented. You know, it's not one of those off-camera things where they, you know, you just assume the r- robot is doing this or that. No, it just goes crazy. There's a couple things, like the image images it can project is a little little crazy, yeah. uh, you know, when it, you know, it replicates or yeah. that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it's goofy. It's fucking 1977, and we're talking about a fucking computer that can impregnate people and kind of take over and then develops in this giant fucking uh, diamond-looking cube thing that comes to life and gets really fucking crazy. Like, the last 15 minutes of this movie, <laughs> I remember Janice came home, like, halfway through, and she sat down, and she's watching the last, like, 20 minutes of this movie, and she looks over, and she's like, what the fuck is happening? And I was like, I don't no, like this movie, like was like robot horror, and then we went fucking crazy. Like by the end, like the last shot of the film, you're sitting there like, holy fucking shit! <laughs> Why isn't more people talking about fucking demons? The only scenes? thing I wrote because I didn't want to spoil it was that ending. <laughs> That's all I wrote, dude. Like, this movie is worth, like, I mean, the movie is good. Like, you're going to be highly entertained throughout the film, but the last 15 Holy minutes of this film is totally fuck. fucking worth it. Yeah. Because once we have Diamond Robot Cube thing shows up, like, it gets crazy. And then you're just, you're just in awe watching it. Like, well, even this is really fucking good for the 70s. Even Robo Baby is. <laughs> well, if you turn it over, you get to see a glimpse of Robo Baby. Yeah, um, but man, fucking shit, man! Like, I, I, I want to see, I want to see a sequel with Robo Baby. <laughs> and that's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. It's not not a spoiler. Um, but I tell you, man, like this, it, it's good. It's really bizarre. It's really weird. It's really just out there. But man, it, it's it's definitely. Whew. Like I was, I was highly like I. I was getting more and more entertained um, each minute that this film went on. 
So, and it's and it's crazy that this this is the this is the guy that you know another film I highly yeah, recommend. If you want to see uh, some, the director and the writer, you want to see some psychological fucking crazy crazy shit. Is his uh, film that he did after this? I think Screen Factory released it on their label, and then Arrow has it over in the UK. It's called White of the Eye. Yeah, um, it's so fucking good. It, 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 but you could kind of see those movies go hand in hand uh, with one another. Just kind of the insanity that's uh, that's behind well, it. I, but I mean, this guy it's, it's is ridiculous, and it's well, it's a shame we didn't. Ahead? direct more movies because he's done like four YouTube right. movies, you know, like right. documentaries. And, and then we want to talk about, um, Warner archive. They re- Warner archive released his other film on Blu-ray called performance okay. with, um, with Mick Jagger. Damn. So, um, have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. I have. Uh, it's, 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 it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's no Demon Seed or Wide of the Eye, but it's it's good. But, I haven't seen his uh, other film. I don't think he's no, made he like much more than much. that. He's he's done performance, Demon Seed, and Wide of the Eye, and then Wild Side in 1995. Like those are his films, like four films. Uh, Wild Side in 1995 with Christopher Walken. Let's check that out. I've never seen that. He um, directed it as so, uh, under the name Franklin Bronner. So maybe he wasn't too. I tell you, man. Him. I, I, oh, dude, he fucking killed himself. God damn it! Is, is this happening Shit, again, man? He killed himself 96. in '96, right after that movie was released. Oh shit! They released the director's man. That's that's crazy. Well, he did this movie called The Argument in 1971. It wasn't released until 1998. It's like a short film. Maybe he's not happy with any of his films. <laughs> but um, I tell you, he definitely had a – he definitely had an eye and he definitely had – I mean, he had a, he had a, he had a, he had a imagination. Yeah. For bringing for anybody to sit down and bring a Dean number one, if anybody brings one of Dean Koontz's wild books to the screen, that's really fucking hard to do. And the same thing goes for King too. It's yeah. really hard to adapt something, um, staying true to the source material, something like Demons. There hasn't been a lot of really good Dean Koontz adaptations. Like I feel like there's no, been a few a, a few really good Stephen King. Like I feel like Dean Koontz yeah, is yeah. kind of under uh, underrepresented in, in as far as like film. Like I think there's been like a few like TV movies, but uh, like Dean well, Koontz I mean, is, yeah, like, uh, is like one of the most popular his horror good writers. Stuff is go- goofy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that some of his like I really still enjoy Phantoms. I enjoy Watchers, but still those movies are really out there. And goofy, that fuck you know, a bomb, but, um, man, yo. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a fan. I, I like Phantoms a lot. I think it's. Really I love. I I think the book is incredibly a lot better, but I mean, yeah. I still love. It's uh, fun. Phantoms quite. There's some bad CGI in um, it now, but I mean, it's it's, it's fun. Uh, listen yeah. to this. Uh, two days before his suicide, Bill Pullman had agreed to star in his new film, Thirty Three, which already had studio back backing. It was set in Istanbul in the 30s. And it was a thriller that dealt with a journalist who became who becomes trapped in the hideout of a heroin kingpin. Mm. So that that movie never got done because he he killed himself two days later. 
Damn, dude. Yeah. He was offered the chance to direct Bad Influence and Robocop 2. Shit. Damn. What else? Uh, but anyways. Art prodigy as a child, he trained at the Royal Academy School of Art, became a celebrated portrait painter in London in the 50s. So, hmm. anyway. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I, I, I wonder, it makes you wonder because he was, he obviously had some talent and he, he especially had some artistic talent. I mean, with the special effects in Demon Seed in the 70s, late 70s, with, uh, how I mean, White of the Eye is a damn good flick. Like I really enjoy that that film. It's got a great musical number too. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. So it's, it's it's like it's like what would I mean? It, it just you know ten not not even ten years later he commits suicide. It's like you wonder like you know how eccentric he was because he he obviously was influenced by music uh, and art. So um, it's very interesting. I. I you need to try. I really now I'm like super uh, uh, motivated. To yeah, I want to check out like check out his, his other, uh, more about him. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, yeah. Watch White of the Eye. Watch Demon, but Demon Seed, man. I, I highly recommend it. So, dude. Uh, another bizarre factor: Demon Seed was intended to be a comedy, but the studio it was the studio's idea to turn it into a, a thriller. Why did you make that a comedy? That's I have so no crazy. idea. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. So, All right. speaking anyway. about Demon Seed, and I was hinted, and now we can jump into the video, oh my god, segment, um, if you'd like to, Sean. Did you just introduce video, oh my god? Nikki. Well, here we are at last. Right where we ought to be. Oh my god! Yeah. So, anyways, um, this segment is all you because, uh, like, the frustration that we've had with the video "Oh My God" segment is sometimes you show up show up on on YouTube and various other seedier uh, places yeah. of the internet. Well. Um, these types of movies, especially like the made-for-TV horror-type films, are becoming increasingly harder to find. And so I was unable to watch it, but I'm super intrigued. So please, Brad, sell me on Homewrecker. And hopefully so, some uh, amazing studio that deserves to have their dick sucked or titties twisted uh, listens and decides to release this. Paramount owns this. It oh, uh, Paramount. Well, they can fuck off. They're not going to do that. Yeah, they're not going to do it. Um, so <laughs> when putting this together, I, the very first thing that popped up that we said was uh, Ghost of the Machine, but then we realized we already covered that. Um, <laughs> so my next, well, was, next yeah, for stream screams. Yeah, ne- next up was um, a little movie that I I, I bought on VHS years ago. Um, and, um, I love 90s horror. It always gets shit on. I fucking love it so much. But it was a film that I, uh, I never saw as a kid. I saw it as an adult, um, cause I bought the tape. It was called Homewrecker. It was a made for TV movie in 1992. And since we're on the subject of Demon Seed, this has some similar plot devices of, um, of course, what's based off of 
Dean Koontz's, uh novel and in, into the movie um, that that was made, which we never mentioned the director's name, which was uh, um, oh shit, Don- oh, we did Donald Camel. Donald uh, Camel, yeah, yeah. So D- Donald Donald oh, Camel's uh, Demon Seed film, which is uh, uh, a guy who creates a <laughs> computer robot, uh, you know, AI personality um, who uh, basically is uh, war is like the specialty. So he kind of dismantles it and brings it home. Um, and it, uh, he renames it, uh, he gives it a personality of a woman and names it Lucy. And Lucy comes into the picture. Now, this guy is recently divorced, trying to win his, uh, family back, uh, his, his, uh, ex-wife, uh, soon to be ex-wife, and then, um, uh, little girl, which you'll notice the little girl, she was in, um, uh, shit. God damn it. I always fucking forget. Little, Redheaded girl. She's in Beethoven. Um, she's a little, little girl in Beethoven. <laughs> I used to watch Beethoven all the time when I was little, so, um, that's how I Oh, dude, I find, I loved, I loved, uh, that flick. Yeah, that movie's really fucked up, dude. Like, Breakdown <laughs> Beethoven? Be- breakdown Beethoven? Like, they're fucking- A lot of the movies in that time period are fucked up. Dude, they're slaughtering fucking dogs. <laughs> yeah. They're tearing out their well, brains. <laughs> Like, the whole plot is for them to get the animals and slaughter them. Well, yeah. I mean, dude, look at the plot to uh, uh, 100 Dalmatians. Oh, no. I I know, right? But you just don't think of it because it's like a she fun— She wants to kill puppies and turn them into a coat. Yeah, it's 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 weird, though, man. Well, they're trying to, like, use their brains or something. Like, they're trying to get the dog's <laughs> brain to experiment on it or some shit. So, anyways, That's Beethoven, Beethoven little girl is in this. Um, so he— Beethoven for life. He brings it home, and the computer miraculously can build, uh, you know, arms and stuff like that, which is really bizarre. It's never really explained. Uh, kind of like in Demon Seed, where things are over-explained, it's not explained in Homewrecker. So, Home- Homewrecker, <laughs> Lucy builds, like, these railings um, on on the ceiling, you know, and obviously there's some, you know, stuff that he had. As well for computer engineering and and um, you know this mechanical stuff that he's built, but Lucy puts this stuff together and can operate it. So basically, there's arms in every room uh, in order to do the dishes, turn off the lights, and she could control everything uh, from there. And so uh, when I can't remember the guy's name, I also haven't seen this movie in forever. Um, he uh, then. Uh, the, the, the doctor? Yeah, the doctor tries to get back with... David uh, Whitson? Yeah. So anyways, he, played by, he gives... Played by Robbie Benson. He gives uh, Lucy an eye, so that way she can see him. Um, and then she becomes, you know, she thinks he's attractive. Uh, she becomes obsessed with him. So then he tries to get back with his, uh, uh, you know, his, his soon-to-be ex-wife. Um, tries to win her back. And then when he brings her in the picture, um, he... She's like kind of freaked out by Lucy, so he turns her off and then she gets upset. And so she traps, um, them in the house one night and then terrorizes them. Um, but doesn't impregnate anybody. Um, but, uh, <laughs> just, just terrorizes them. But it's a made for TV, so it's very, uh, it's very tame, extremely tame. It's very PG 13 G ish. Um, but, uh, it's just one of those movies, like, I can't go out of my way to say this is a movie good, but it was, um, you know, with VHS, oh my god, or video, oh my god, we, we, 
I like to focus on things that aren't released on any other formats as far as like DVD or streaming. Um, and then since doing this episode or these segments, we've had certain films that have been picked up and released on Blu-ray. What? Like never too what? young to die. Oh shit! So, um, dude, I need to crack. I need to crack that Blu-ray open. By the way, I'm like so excited to see how it looks. So, yeah, and that's kind of what this is for. And, um, you know, we really want people like it's not to be like, hey, you know, this movie isn't available, so you know, good luck finding it. It's just kind of make people aware, you know, that in advocate for, for films like this to get somewhat of a release, whether it's streaming or, you know, a DVD release or a Blu-ray release, anything other than just fucking sitting and not going anywhere and then just getting lost. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of just to make you aware that these movies do exist, like just what Synapse and fucking Arrow and Screen Factory is releasing. They're not, that's not all the movies that exist. There's a shit ton of movies. I have a, a wall behind me right now, a wall with VHS tapes, and I only keep movies now that are only on VHS. And I still have a ginormous wall, and I don't even collect tapes that much anymore. <laughs> so. Where, what channel did this debut on? I, I see here Sci Fi Channel. I'm not sure if that's 100% correct. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I I found the tape a few years ago um, when I was just, you know, VHS hunting here and there. I just came across it because I was really intrigued by the, the cover. The great. Because it's just like this hand, like, <laughs> ripping this fucking picture and squeezing it. A robot hand basically shattering a picture. Hey, but I tell you what, that's what uh, the robot uh, hand nice looks like at least. Usually you don't get that in movies. It's like the cover is not exactly what the killer robot is, but yeah, that's what the robot hand. I it's identical. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is it like uh, like short circuit, like Johnny Five? Yeah, yeah. It's very, very Johnny Five ish. Very Johnny Five. So nice. Um. Yeah. I mean, I I really would love to find this and, and watch it. We were attempting to basically, I was going to try to stream it from uh, your house. But, uh, yeah. that failed. Ultimately, uh, failed. Um, so it, I mean, it's tough, man. Like, that's the frustrating part about a lot of these films and, and why, like, at least, I mean, at, at least I wish, like, companies like Paramount would take their entire library. And even if it was VHS quality, like, I, that's the value of YouTube where a lot of these companies are putting their films on a legit channel so people can watch them. You know, it's like, I don't understand why, like, what does it serve this company, you know, the studio to sit on these movies Uh, and not, not even make them available. Like they should at least be available, even if it's just quality, create a fucking channel, upload the fucking VHS to it. Don't pay anything to have anything done. Fucking upload it, and that's it. That's all you have to do in your movie. Yeah, and, and then it, people will be able to download it from there. Than sitting on it, it and 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 have these movies because these movies are just gonna fucking disappear, man. So, anyways, fuck that shit. Yeah, fuck movies. Disappear. Even right if on. they suck, I don't care. Even if movies are the fucking worst, I don't want any movie to fucking disappear. That somebody's work and yeah, money no, no. is like gone. You know, his yeah. memories. Like, yeah, totally. You go around just throwing away people's fucking pictures. 
We'll probably. Dude, I save <laughs> these podcasts like <laughs> for posterity. You know? Yeah, you just never. Know I make sure I can always that. access any podcast they've ever done. I have some pure shit podcasts from ten years ago. I still have them saved on a server somewhere. You know, so. All right, right on. Let's move on to Stream Screams. Nate, wake up! There's something very important I forgot to tell you. Don't fucking scream at me! Scream, I'll break your neck. <laughs> Don't scream, miss. Don't scream. <laughs> Today we are talking... Dear God, I can't believe you made me watch this flick. Uh, I this is where we're gonna debate, <laughs> dude. Holy shit, Lawnmower Man Two, Job's War, or la, 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 la. Beyond Cyberspace. The future is now. Get him out of there. He's getting out of control. I've never seen Job like that before. You've got to stop Job before it's too late. And in three days, I'll be at every system in the world. to all credit accounts. This card is no longer... ATM machines. Department of Water and Power. If he can destroy our world, he figures we'll have to turn to him as the new messiah in cyberspace. Jack into the new world order. Follow Joe. First off, oh my God. I guess we need to talk about Lawnmower Man. Oh my God! Uh, coming soon from Scream Factory, the which I actually confirmed with Scream Factory because I didn't know this. Um, they are releasing the director's cut of Lawnmower Man, yeah, which is that, like dude, forty minutes longer. Fuck. Forty minutes, forty what? minutes longer. Okay, hold on. All right, so forty minutes longer. Do they include both versions? Yeah, well, what's what's the um what's the runtime of uh, Lawnmower Man? I don't. Know, I'm furiously typing on an is, Amazon right now. Uh, all right, so running time is a hundred and three minutes. The director's cut is one forty one. Oh shit! So I'm sorry, I'm wrong. It's longer. Or wait, no, it's thirty. No, it is almost forty. Minutes. Yeah, it's almost I mean, thirty eight. Basically, forty. Minutes. Holy shit! Has the director's cut ever been released? Um, well, yeah, because that's the only version I've seen, but it's only been released by like odd, odd shit, like CD stuff. I don't know if it's ever had like a legit okay, DVD. Never, it was never on the new line platinum series. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, here's my history of lawnmower man real quick. No, it, it wasn't. Holy fuck. Why the hell aren't they like broadcasting this to the world? Like this is, this is a this is a momentous occasion. Because it sucks. Um, so <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kidding. So my history with Lama I love Lamar Man is I, that I can't imagine 40 more minutes of it though. <laughs> well, I've watched it twice, so there you go. Um, <laughs> I originally remember Lawnmower Man because my mom saw it. I didn't. Not that I remember. I might have, I but I don't remember anything about Lawnmower Man. I remember seeing Lawnmower Man later, and like later in high school, someone had uh, one of my friends had the director's cut. I don't remember how. I mean, then it wasn't high. I'm sorry, it was college. So um, someone had a director's cut of Lawnmower Man. That's where I originally saw it. Uh, two hours and thirty minutes of Lawnmower Man. Holy. 
So holy shit, I, that's a long. Movie. I remember watching it, and not liking it. Um, and then since we're doing the show, I was like, I still have a copy of the director's cut of Lawnmower Man. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna watch it before I watched Lawnmower Man two again. Is there more like more digital sex? I mean, dude, it is fucking insane. Like this movie feels like I'm on drugs. Like, <laughs> and here's here's the legit question I have. All right, and you can't answer this because you, you, I can't. It doesn't. It doesn't apply to you because you're not old enough. Um, so I want to know because we watch films from when we were kids, okay, and we remember them uh, being state of the art technology. Um, Independence Day and it had great technology at the time. Rewatching that, you can see a lot of fucking flaws in the CG and computer uh digital animation in Independence Day. It looks like fucking garbage. Um but at the time, that should look really good. Watching Godzilla in 1998, that looked really good at the time. Now watching it, it looks like shit. <laughs> that said, anybody that was at least 25 or older that saw Lawnmower Man in the theater. Did you watch it saying, man, these special effects look good? Or were you just like, what the fuck is happening? Because, dude, this looks fucking terrible. I feel like this would be terrible at the time, and it was terrible, like, now. Unless you were some video game nut that watched those, like, played those, like, CD, like, virtual reality CD things and was used to this because this shit is wacky, man. All I gotta say, I'm still stuck on the director's cut thing. In the director's cut, there's a whole 10-minute scene of RoboCop Chimp. Yeah. Well, well I've never seen the original version. What the, what the hell? Dude! Okay, all right, so here- This is amazing! All right, so here's the question. I've only seen the director's cut. My mind is legit, like, I'm, my mind is blown right now, like, in real time. I can't believe the insanity that was cut from this film. Well, see- Holy shit. All right, all right, stop, stop, stop. So, what I'm saying is that- Oh my god, this is, we're still talking about uh, Lawnmower Man 1, by the way. Yeah, so- I'm ordering this right now. So, I've only seen- Mike, grindhousevideo.com, Mike. Save me a copy. Thank you. I've seen the movie, so why are you talking? So (laughs) I don't know. The unrated unrated director's cut. So I've only seen this. So the opening of the film is a chimpanzee in this robotic outfit that's going around shooting a gun at people and mowing them down. (laughs) Is this not in the original Lawnmower Man movie? (laughs) This is all I've seen. I feel like it's a little bit... It's a little bit in the beginning, but there's a f- extended 10 minute sequence with Robo Chimp and real carnage going on and a helicopter and, and. It, yeah, no, I, it's, it's a lot I'm, of shit. Like a lot of shit's happening. What the? Fuck? It's a long opening. How did I ever see it? So here's the thing is that I want to know, like, Holy I wish that I was like, after I saw this, like, years and years ago, I was talking to somebody that was a Lawnmower Man fan, and I'm like, dude, what about that fucking killer chimp sequence? And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> they're like, did you even oh see the movie? Oh my god! So, I mean, it's awful. It's really bad. And like... The- yeah, but it looks, um, it looks like 
amazingly awful. I can't. I'm like, there's a website that shows the complete, like, in screen caps, <laughs> the complete scene, and it looks amazing. So, anyway. I, I need a drink. So the opening of this film is this fucking chimpanzee going on a rampage with this, like, all this, like, helmet shit attached to him, just (laughs) mowing people down. Um, and then meets Job in, 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 in a way. And then, um, Pierce Brosnan, who is the kind of the creator of, of this, uh, you know, virtual reality program stuff. Um, tries to save the, save, save the chimp from getting blasted because it obviously has murdered everybody. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, meets Job, the lawnmower man who's played by Jeff Fahey. Um, and anyways, all that happens and then he uses Jeff Fahey, Job, to put in this vir- virtual reality, like, uh, you know, realm. And then Job actually changes. He becomes different. He becomes, cause Job is, uh, you know, has some kind of mental retardation type thing. You know, he's very slow. He's very sweet. He's very kind. Um, but he has, you know, obviously has some issues. And, uh, next door, uh, and who he mows the lawn for is Austin O'Brien's character, who is, uh, in a, an abusive, um, uh, home, family home where his mom and him are getting, you know, uh, hurt, uh, verbally and physically. Um, so, uh, I guess not mental, I don't know if it's mental retardation. I don't think it's that. He just has some mental disabilities. Um, I don't, I want to more BPC. I don't know if that's quite correct to say. I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. Um, so all our listeners gone. <laughs> I hope not because I don't want to offend anybody because it's a serious <laughs> thing. So, um, anyways, uh, they jump into this virtual reality shit and um it it just goes from there. I mean, if you haven't seen Lawnmower Man, you probably watch it. Uh because this director's cut's coming out and apparently people are excited about it that knew about it, but I I didn't see them broadcast this. I just tweeted about it and then Screen Factory with their very very nice words just said yes. Um <laughs> and then I put just kudos. Um but anyways, uh, I'm happy that they're putting this out. It's a really weird movie. The special effects are fucking horrendous. It gets super fucking wacky. Um, but we're not talking about Lawnmower Man today. We're talking about Lawnmower Man 2, which is very, <laughs> I think is very, very underseen. And since you are laughing and you have talked a little bit of shit about it, and we haven't talked about this at all. Oh my god! Um, Lombard, I thought I'd seen this. Lawnmower Man Two never, is never seen a it. lot better than Lawnmower <laughs> Man. I know that we're gonna argue and laugh about this, but what? Uh, Lawnmower Man Two is not bad, man. What's the real? Because uh, I always knew it as Lawnmower Man Two: Job's Beyond War. Cyberspace. Uh, apparently, it's known as Lawnmower Man Beyond Cyberspace. It's directed by Farhad Man, who was the creator of fucking Max Headroom. Ooh, that ex- which makes that explains so much. So much sense. That explains a lot. <laughs> I'm watching this movie. So, he was involved with the story as well as Michael Meyer was involved with the story. But uh, have you ever seen the original uh, miniseries 
of Max Hedrick. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. the fucking like Pepsi commercial, whatever. But the mini series, like it's like an R. It's totally like R rated. No, yeah, no, I've seen uh, Max Hedrick. Yeah, it's it's like bleak as shit. And I've been trying to track that down. I think it was on DVD for a while, but I, but um, I remember like going back to Max Headroom. I, I had only known him from the commercials, right? So I saw the VHS of Max Headroom the movie, which was basically a re-edit of. I think it was a re-edit of the miniseries. I think the miniseries was was a UK was it like BBC or somewhere UK miniseries. For the U.S., they edited edited it down to a movie, and it was bleak as shit. Like I don't remember. I I, I want to watch it again, but I remember like there were people's body parts being chopped off. Uh, there was there was nudity. I mean, there there it was just just like not funny. It was like bleak as shit, and my parents made me turn it off halfway through. So I've never I've never finished Max Headroom the miniseries or movie or whatever the hell. So, but, um, you can see this future in this, like, oh, no, Man totally. too. I was about like, to say, yeah, he's like, there's the streets, like everyone's like jacked into VR, like on the street, you know, like there's these stations where you can just go into VR. Well, and before, uh, before you get into that, like, so that part of the design, I was like, holy shit. So go let's, ahead. let's talk about the original lawnmower man, uh, came out in 1992, yeah. had a budget, of ten million dollars and made apparently thirty some million dollars at the box office, considered a minor success. Um, so now we have Lawnmower yeah. Man two, four years later, of a sequel that no one really asked for, of a budget of and 50, rated PG thirteen. Uh, yeah, rated PG thirteen of a budget of fifteen million dollars. <laughs> but in this this movie, you can at least see where the budget went to. Because the futuristic streets, yeah. everything, it looks actually really good. Um, but I tell you, like, what direction were they trying to go? Because it, the, the cool thing about it, though, this is what I respect about the film, is that they actually the plot? they brought in. I mean, here's the thing: is Job's back, but played by uh, Matt Frewer, and then of yeah, course who played Max Hedrum, by the way. Yeah, and then Austin O'Brien is back. As Peter, Peter, the next door neighbor, who is now yeah. an older kid, who is uh, a very uh, big computer hacker that's living in uh, what California or whatever in the future. So um, basically, uh, Job is still around, um, and uh, he virtual locates uh, Austin O'Brien because they were friends in the original Lawnmower Man film, uh, and 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 going back because there's this well, there's the chip the, the like Cyron Cryron, yeah Chiron whatever or Chiron so they have chip this uh, the, uh, chip to basically uh, you know control all computers, um, and that's pretty much <laughs> pretty much it. Like they have this they have this uh, computer chip that that's out there. Um, and then, um, you know, Job and Aust- Austin O'Brien are basically after this, uh, after this chip, they don't want it to fall it into, um, who's the, who's the bad guy? It's, uh, Trace. So, and the funny thing is like the bad guy is a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> so makes me laugh. Is it, uh, Oh god! Uh, god damn! Who's I? I, I, I didn't write guy. down who the 
Trace is yeah. the good guy. Yeah, it's Trace the, the good guy. The, Dr. Corey Platt is the uh, the woman. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. But anyways, he, he's the bad guy. That's no, no, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Walker, played by Kevin Conway. Okay, that, that sounds that sounds it. That sounds like it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jonathan Walker. Yep. So Kevin Conway, he was in uh The Quick of the Dead. Oh, good to know. <laughs> um so basically they're after this chip. But what's what's crazy about this film is that the budget's bigger. I mean, I mean we do have four years of, of change in the world, uh, but a budget of fifteen million dollars and this movie fucking bombs. This was in the theater. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. sure Pete, when Lawnmower Man 2 came out, like, Lawnmower, like, this isn't directed, like, stuff in the 80s where you could just release sequels on VHS and they'd be successful. Like, we're getting in to the late 90s right now. <laughs> and Lawnmower Man it, 2 well, is being released in theaters. No one fucking cares. No, do you want to hear the competition that weekend? Oh, God. January 12th, 1996. This is based. Uh, I'm. This isn't. Let's see. Let, I mean, let me try to do this by box office. Uh, Eye for an eye with uh, made twenty twenty six million dollars. That was the. Um, um, uh, I'm thinking Eye of the Beholder with Sally Field. No. Eye for an eye is the Isabel. Um, Sally Field and Ed Harris. Oh yeah, it is. It is the Sally Field movie. Okay. All right, yeah. I was right. Uh, so that was the box office winner, like that. Yeah, that movie's you know, really good. Was, um, right behind it was Those guys, "Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Your Ju- Juice in the Hood." <laughs> <laughs> Third you place said, was no, no, Biodrom. You just said "jizz in the hood." <laughs> juice, I meant juice. Oh my god! All right, so uh, we have uh, eye for an eye. Um, yep. which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, those are the people that went on to do that team of writers and everything went on to do Jurassic World, by the way. Um, oh wow. The writers and stuff like that. It's like a team of people. Amanda Silver and, uh, Erica Holzer. I believe so. I think if you look it up. Amanda Silver sounds familiar. Is that? Well, Amanda Silver, uh, Dawn for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And, and, and she even did Jurassic yeah, World. Yeah. It's the same. Those um, people have been around forever. Um, yeah. And they, I think they actually did Point of No Return as well, the La Femme Nikita remake. I would imagine. But they wrote, maybe, I don't know. Anyways, they always have, the reason why I say that is because in all their films, their heroine has high heels and a skirt and people gave Jurassic World shit for that. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. I was like, wow. Yeah. I was like, no, that's what these people do. They always have that. Oh they my have gosh, it. that makes so much sense right now. And I now. never said anything because no one's going to fucking pay That's attention hilarious. to me. But in all their films, they have – the heroine has skirt and a fucking high heels on. That's what they do. Oh, my God. You know, I know that That's the funny. director came in later on, but those writers and stuff, that team, there's like three yeah. of them. They've been doing that yeah. for quite some time. But – um yeah. All right. So I for- – Erica Holzer – no, sorry. Erica Holzer wrote the novel for Eye for an Eye. So it's Amanda Silver – and she wrote Eye for an Eye, and my man, you know, my fucking computer's uh, uh, Rick Jaffa. So I don't know if they're, yeah, yeah, that's the team. Amanda Silver and Rick Jaffa's. They've done Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, uh, Jurassic World, um, The Relic, which is I, Penelope Ann Miller wears a dress and high heels throughout that movie. Yep, 
They're involved with Avatar 3 and Mulan. Um, so, yeah. anyways, but anyway, eye for an eye, don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your jizz in the hood okay. and then Biodome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking Biodome. I think Bio-dome. He, like fucking killed during that time because that was the Polly Shore craze. Yeah. So this film didn't have a uh, Then there's chance. romantic comedy. Yeah, no. Then there's a romantic comedy, Two If by C. Oh my god, that movie and like, then, fucking killed. Uh, it got beat out by Dunstan Checks In. Which is so good. <laughs> and then uh so then was Lawnmower Man 2 and then the only movie it beat out was a movie called Gazan Maudit and I have no idea it's a comedy I have no idea wow so yeah Lawnmower Man 2 picked a terrible terrible twist. uh weekend to be uh um Released, but yeah, this movie didn't stand a chance because no one fucking cared. No one was looking for a sequel to Lawnmower Man, and this movie was a PG thirteen version or not version. It was just a PG thirteen movie with a bunch of kids VRing and and being kind of a funny. Yes. It's it's a comedy at times. <laughs> it's the RoboCop three of Lawnmower Men. Oh my god! Like it's just it's so out there. It's Probably better than RoboCop three. <laughs> Mm. So anyway, the funny thing about this film, about this movie, is whenever they're in VR, they're like, "Hey, did you load the motorcycles?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm on it." Hey, Fluffy or whatever the goddamn dog's name is, the dog brings a disc to the computer and puts the disc in, and then they have motorcycles. But they also can fly. So why would you need motorcycles? When you can fly in the first place. Is it just a way to get the dog in? Dude, it doesn't matter. Because, listen (laughs) to this. Austin O'Brien. A cute kid (laughs) who was a decent actor. First film, Lawnmower Man. Then he teams up with fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger in one of the greatest action movies ever made, Last Action Hero. Yes. Then works with Full Moon and makes a very cutesy dinosaur movie called Prehysteria that it actually still holds up. And then he was in the great fucking sequel I still consider My Girl and My Girl 2, really fucking good movies. Then Apollo 13, and then to hit, because he's a teenager and a heartthrob, he's in Babysitter's Club. And then Mm -hmm. he chooses what pummels his career, Lawnmower Man 2. (laughs) After Lawnmower Man 2, he doesn't really do anything else. R.I.P. Poor Austin. If you look at his, like, if you look at his uh, filmography... He was in some fucking TV show after that, but like yeah. that's fucking it, man. Like oh, man. everything else, I've never even know what those movies are. Hey, hey, he was in a movie called Runaways. That was probably straight to TV. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, fucking Austin O'Brien chose this because he's like, oh man, I really like Lawnmower Man too. This is what launched my career. Like, I love Lawnmower Man, and then this is just what started his career, ended his career, people. Um, but it's still good. I like Lawnmower Man 2. I prefer Lawnmower Man 2 over Lawnmower Man. I'm, what? Yes. Dude, you're insane. I, I'm not insane. You're crazy. Number one, it's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, I laugh in the movie. And. <laughs> 
and like you know when the dog is like at the computer uh, and the fucking bombs are going off and shit. Oh my yeah. god! It's so like it's a completely different. Like, here's the thing: is like, you can, hey, you cannot watch Lawnmower Man and totally kind of get what's going we're, on. We're we're gonna make a science fiction horror movie with two great actors, Pierce Brosnan. Even though people laugh at him, Pierce Brosnan and fucking Jeff Fahey. Pierce Brosnan's making a horror sci-fi movie. Hey guys, we're in a production meeting. We're gonna make a sequel to Lawnmower Man too, but make it a family fun uh, comedy. <laughs> I mean, it's not all a family comedy. It's not funny. It's not because, dude, Job is a straight-up murderer. Like, he straight-up electrocutes a dude through his eyeballs. No, I'm saying, like, it does get serious at times. But we're also Job. Spoiler alert, at the end, it's freaking kumbaya mode (laughs) with Job. Because Job's a nice guy. Job's a nice guy. But here's the He's thing. a nice guy, but he just is that face. At the time, I don't know how many movies <laughs> Matt Fuhrer was in, but the thing is, is that I saw Lawnmower Man 2 after I saw National Lampoon's Senior Trip. And he's the principal in that. <laughs> so it's hard for me to t- which is Jeremy Renner's in, by the way. He's the lead sorry, in National Lampoon's Senior Trip. Matt Fuhrer's so miscast in this. No, he is because he seems like he's uh um you know a comedy comedy dude he's always in these freaking max Headroom. you know and even when he's in the remake of dawn of the dead and he's supposed to be the dying dad we're supposed to feel sorry for i'm just laughing the entire time because i'm thinking about him being locked in the bathroom and seeing national lampoon senior trip and being put makeup on him <laughs> like i i can't he's trying to though he's He's a great like he's I mean he I would consider him a character actor just because he's, he's been he's so hilarious shit. he's really funny no, he, but it's I, hard for me to take great. anything seriously of La Marman too when it's played by Matt Fuhrer like Jeff Fahey was really especially good. when his his snack of choice in Lawnmower Man two is a Twinkie Twinkies are good Sean. <laughs> I will say, like, I recently had a chocolate and sprinkle covered Twinkie, and it was fucking amazing. But I'm, I'm just saying, you know, when he's supposed to be the super smart guy connected to a computer, uh, when in the last movie he ditched his body and became a computer program, but now he's stuck back in his human body and will not become a computer body again for some reason, uh, and his snack of choice is a Twinkie, I mean, give me a break. Hey, but also for for odd for odd man, whatever his name is, there is a sleazy '90s movie called uh, Two Moon Junction that's very sexy. He made the sequel to Two Moon Junction <laughs> called Return to Two Moon Junction. But also, this is what kickstarted Molly Shannon's career because Molly Shannon oh. is in Return to Two Moon Junction and she's in La Mer Man too. Oh shit! Then after All that, right. well, look, she did Night of the Roxbury, and she was already on SNL, okay. and that's what happened. All right? Like, okay. Well, I mean, look, like we're we're talking good, at least no. she kickstarted, like he kickstarted Molly Shannon's career, but he fucking ended Austin O'Brien's. <laughs> hey, the Lord works in mysterious ways. 
as they say. Uh, wait, who did Molly Shannon play? She was just in the movie for a, a little bit. She was one of the homeless people. She, oh, oh, she was the homeless lady. Oh my god, yes. That's actually her <laughs> title in the in the credits is homeless lady. Oh my god. All right. Well, uh, we I don't know what we've accomplished here, but uh, Lawnmower Man Two is available. Nothing. No one's gonna watch Lawnmower Man Two right HD, now. HD uh, through Voodoo. And you can uh, you can rent it or buy it from there. So I can guarantee you this will uh, not be released on Blu-ray from Screen Factory because if they were, they were probably going <laughs> to include it into the release of Lawnmower Man because no one's going to buy it. Oh, shut up! They would have they would have done a total separate collector's edition like Robocop Three. Oh God! And Teen Wolf Two. But the thing is, is people Screen know Factory, you guys, exist. look, look. Robocop Three and Robocop Two should have been one release, double feature. Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2 should have been double feature. Don't split the shitty sequels up. Keep them together. Come on. Oh, it's not done. worth It's You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. I'm sorry. That's the sad truth. And I know that uh, those people of influence from Screen Factor are listening right now. And, uh, you know, that's just a little bit of advice. You can tweet me. Sean C. DeRager. Just tweet me. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the heads up about your releases. I'll let you know what's up. <laughs> Sean's got the, the DL <laughs> of the money that you're making. I got it. I got it. For I got Shop it. Factory. Look, if I'm not going to buy it, don't fucking release it. Okay? Oof. That's, that is a terrible, terrible thing you just said. <laughs> so, uh, Lawnmower Man comes out on Blu-ray from Screen Factory. Lawnmower Man 2 is available on Voodoo from uh, Stream Screams. That is not what I meant to say, but we're doing Stream Screams on Lawnmower Man 2. And I was yeah. starting to slur my words because it's super late. It is. Uh, dude, I, I seriously, through this episode, I became legit bonerific, uh, all down on that Lawnmower Man episode, or, uh, I think I made you buy like three Blu-rays during this fucking episode. Oh my god. You did. So. You're, you're lucky I refinanced my house. I got a little bit of extra cash, uh, at least for this month. So. Yeah, we'll see. When the money runs out, it's all your fault. Uh, anyway, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We want to thank you guys for listening. Please, if you can, become a patron. Patreon.com slash scream underscore cast. Um, I mean, you can, we got dollar, uh, $3 a month, $5 a month. Hey, $5 is going to get something cool, though. I know. Uh, Screamcast late night. But look at, even if, like, the 80 of you who participated in that little survey, if all of you can donate just $1, that would help keep the show going, would help us replace equipment, pay for websites, shit. Uh, also, you know, like, I'm trying to get this thing making some sort of income so we can at least pay the people that are working hard on the website. Like we got some people on the website they're doing this just for fun. Like we're all doing this just because we love horror. We love genre films. We're having a lot of fun doing this. We're, we're, you know, we're enthusiastic about it. Uh, we got people writing for the site. If we were able to start paying them, that would be amazing because, you know, I mean, there's passion and then there's like, you're passionate about something for 10 years and you don't make shit. I would love to at least throw some money to these, uh, to these people who have been really helped keeping the website afloat 
other than the podcast. So you uh, become a patron. That's what you're doing. Uh, you're help, you're able to keep us keep this thing moving. There's other things we want to do, uh, more fun things we want to be able to be able to provide for your listening pleasure. So definitely uh, give that a consideration. Of course, you can you can hear our show over at oneofus.net. Check out all of the other podcasts that we're uh, we're lucky enough to be a part of. There's a lot of great shows on there. Uh, shout out to Chris Cox who took it over, and he's been doing just a, a, an amazing job. Um, also, Vinegar Syndrome, of course, we just had their out their uh, full on episode last time. Their May uh, batch. Uh, is up for pre-order right now, so check that out. And of course, Coffee Shop of Horrors, use our code SCREAMCAST, get 10% off your order there. And uh, also, please buy all your shit from GrindhouseVideo.com. Special thanks to Wolfman of Mars for providing the music, and to Kevin Spencer for providing the artwork. We want to thank all you guys for listening. We'll talk to you. Oh, shit! That's how I... I was going to mention that. You're going to start seeing a few little uh, icon or a few little uh, graphics on on the Twitters, on our website. And Dustin Pace has done a hell of a job kind of creating an identity an, an identity graphically for scr- uh, Stream Screams and uh, VHS. Oh, my God. He's going to be doing some more for us. So huge thank you to him. He has some prints available. Um, I'm going to put a link to all his shit in the show notes over at thescreamcast.com. So check that out there. Also, rumor alert, uh, Kevin Spencer may be revamping our logo. So watch out. Watching. (laughs) All right, we'll talk to all you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun. Oh.